Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Special Operations Covert Ops Espionage The Team House with your hosts, Jack Murphy and David Park. Hey guys, welcome to the Team House. This is episode 98. I'm Jack Murphy here with co-host Dave Park. And our guest tonight is Mark Polymeropoulos coming at us for a second episode. We did episode 67 with Mark talking about his extensive career in the CIA deploying to Afghanistan, Iraq, really all over the world. Um, Now we're having him back for round two. We're going to talk about a number of different things, including his new book, Clarity in Crisis. This just came out. It's out in bookstores right now. You guys want to go and check it out. Um, Mark, thank you so much for joining us again tonight. It's it's awesome to be back. I'm sorry I couldn't do it live with you uh, in New York. Um, but we'll do that next time. But thanks for having me again. I uh, well, love the show and uh, excited to be here. Show, show us what you're drinking tonight. You got something from Greece? Yeah, so this is in honor of your producer, D. And so it's just a little, little ouzo here. Okay. Um, you know, my, my, home, my, my, like my home, hometown drink, and it's something with, you know, every Greek kid, you know, thinks he's drinking milk at two or three years old, and he, and he grabs a, a cup from his, you know, his dad or mom's, you know, from the dinner table, and he takes a swig of it, thinks it's milk, and it's ouzo. So that's your first <laughs> um, uh, introduction when you're about two, and then it just becomes kind of like water. And what is what does ouzo taste like for for those of us who haven't tried it? It's black licorice. It's an anise based drink. Oh wow! Um, and there's you know there, you have ouzo in Greece. You have what you have arak in the Arab world. You have raki in and, uh, in Turkey, and then you have sambuca in in Italy. So. Um, it's it's pretty common, but it's good stuff, and it's again, it's uh, you might you might as well be. I could brush my teeth with it. And and, and Ser- Serbia, it's yeah, it's like raka, isn't it? It's made out of like yeah. plums or something like that. <laughs> yep, it's all the same thing. Now, apparently, you know, you know, the the legend has it you don't get a hangover from drinking a lot of it, which I can attest is not actually accurate. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> I, I can too. Uh, Mark, I think. Uh, to, well, let's just kick it off with a, a brief introduction overview for people who haven't seen episode 67. If you haven't, you should go back and check it out. But briefly, in a couple minutes, could you tell us a little bit about your career in the agency and, and now retirement? Sure. So I, I served for 26 years uh, at CIA. It was 
you know, it's pretty scary. The only job I ever had coming out of college. Um, so now I'm retired and, uh, and, and I'm doing a lot of writing. So that's, 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 uh, that's been, that's been really fun, but I spent 26 years, uh, you know, mostly as a, as an operations officer, as a case officer. Um, I started, I was recruited out of college as an analyst. I spent two years as an analyst. Um, uh, and I don't know if I told you this last time, I actually wrote one of the first papers or how I co-wrote one of the first papers on the, uh, the Afghan Arabs and a, and a young financier named Osama bin Laden that came out in 2000, sorry, 1993. Wow. About, uh, um, but then I decided I want to become a case officer and then that kind of launched my career. And I spent, you know, uh, you know, a lot of time living overseas, uh, in the Middle East, uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe almost three years in war zones in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, and, uh, and Syria. Uh, and then I finished up in my career, really interesting job because they took a whole bunch of us in the senior intelligence service. Um, and they put us, uh, you know, working on Russia because this was, you know, after the 2016 election interference. And they thought that because we had this kind of ethos of kind of covert action and, taking it to the enemy uh, in the war zones, we could kind of do this, you know, sort of the same thing when it comes to the Russians, a little bit, obviously, lighter touch, but really pushing back on their on their malign influence. And so uh, I did that until uh, I retired um, uh, in uh, in July 2019 with some some health issues, which I think have been pretty public, but uh, we can talk a little bit about that if you want to. Yeah, yeah, I, I would, because it's um, a, a bit controversial, um, in, in, but I mean, fascinating at the same time that, you and uh, members of the State Department, other members of the Central Intelligence Agency, appear to have been hit with some sort of exotic weapon, a directed beam weapon. I mean, first off, I'd like to um, hear if any more information about that has come to light. I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions here. Um, have you heard or have the doctors been able to gain any deeper understanding of what's really going on here? Yeah, so so I, I can't recall, you know, uh, if I how much I got into this last time because you know it's taken me a while to kind of come out and, and talk publicly about it. But you know, I, so I, I what, what I eventually went to uh, Walter Reed's National Intrepid Center of Excellence, which is their traumatic brain injury program. It's it's very well known in the military, particularly in the special operations world. And when I, when I went there, what, what was really interesting to me after having you know not a lot of luck, certainly not with the CIA doctors who who uh, you know were were frankly you know uh, not not too helpful. Um, but even with my private doctors, but I get to Walter Reed and they immediately diagnosed me with a mild TBI, which if you know TBI, a mild TBI can still be pretty debilitating. Uh -huh. And they said it was based on an external exposure event. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're kind of start starting to, you know, uh, put pieces together. These are, the, these are the best doctors in the world on TBI. Um, and then, then someone from the National Academy of Sciences, a doctor by the name, Stanford doc, doctor by the name of David Relman came out with a report and said that, you know, uh, that, that the, the symptoms of those affected were consistent with, uh, uh, a, you know, likely uh, directed energy weapon. And so you start putting pieces together. And then finally, even after I retired, there's been a slew of cases. And these are people I know. And so, you know, these are, these are CIA officers and, and some diplomats as well, mostly CIA officers who you have been really severely affected in various parts of the world. And so, you, you know, something bad is happening. Um, and so I think we've moved past the idea or the question of, you know, is this, you know, psychosomatic? Are we all making this up? Right. right. And that's crazy. Right. Uh, now, now what has happened is, is, you know, is still in question. Um, uh, and, and, you know, you know, I, I think time will tell, you know, eventually we're going to get to the bottom of this. I think, you know, the new CIA director, Bill Burns, is putting a ton of resources into it. He believes us that something happened. Um, and eventually we're going to get to the, the bottom of it, because in the end, you know, you can't have our personnel whether it's CIA officers, State Department, or if you if you listen to you know former acting Secretary of Defense Chris Miller, this was happening to DOD as well. 
Right. And so if something's going on and, and we got to, we got to make sure it's, uh, it stops it. Cause in essence, it's really, it's an act of war against our, our, our personnel. But can you tell us what some of the possible, when, when you say a directed energy weapon for, yeah. for those of us who don't have any, you know, we know what guns are, grenades and Carl Gustafs. Yeah. Can you tell us what a directed energy weapon might be? Like, what are the possibilities? Sure. So, so look, so I'm not a technical expert, so I'm going to, I'll botch this totally, but it's, you know, so, so for example, there is technology that today there's companies, there's U.S. companies that are selling these types of weapons to the U.S. military to take out drones. So it's, 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 it's basically, it's a directed energy weapon, which will, you know, incapacitate a drone and, and cause a small drone to drop from the sky. So it's kind of, you know, it, the idea would be, you know, you could redirect that at a, at a, at a human. And we know, you know, if there's a, there was a document that was declassified, it was FOIA'd. Um, uh, you know, several years ago, because there was an NSA officer who served in Moscow who really has crippling syndrome, uh, crippling symptoms now. Um, and, and NSA, you know, admitted in this document that is now unclassified saying that yeah, Russia had such a weapon, a directed energy weapon to use against personnel, which in essence just incapacitates you. Um, and so, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the, the technical aspects of it, I gotta, I gotta leave to others. Uh, but I think that. You know, there's no doubt that this technology exists. I think it's more of a question of, you know, you know, why, how, uh, and to what extent an adversary would use this. Mm-hmm. Right, because I mean, strategically, it's interesting that it's uh, debilitating. It, it's not lethal. Right. So, I mean, if they were to assassinate a CIA officer, a State Department foreign service officer, someone like, there's serious international repercussions. But in this case, they're hitting you with something that doesn't kill, but it's debilitating enough that. You're taken off the board, so to speak. You're sent home. You're, you're not able to do your job anymore. And so it serves, if this is what's happening, it serves their interest because, you know, look, Mark is not doing counter-Russia operations anymore. He, he's back home in the hospital. So look, there's, there's you know, there, we're stacking up officers getting medical care now. So what does that do? It takes them off the, the battlefield. So, you know, it, when you think about it, it's, a, it's an insidious weapon, but it's pretty, uh, when I say brilliant, I mean, that's, that's that, that, does, that doesn't sound too hot, especially since what happened to me. But but, you know, we're having a very difficult time, you know, finding attribution. Uh-huh. Um, certainly, it's a difficult time countering this, but, but our people are being incapacitated. And, when you, and, you know, and when you have that, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a pretty, you know, pretty brilliant weapon to, to utilize. Um, uh, and so, you know, at, at some point, we're going to find out what happens, just like everything else in life. Um, you know, this is, this is going to come to light. Now, whether it's from, you know, a defector who comes off, you know, comes across with a blueprint or we catch someone in the act. Um, or, or, you know, our technical folks, you know, devise, devise means that we can, we can, you know, detect this real time, you know, we'll get to the bottom of this. It's just like, you know, I'm confident of that. But in the meantime, I think that, you know, director, director Burns and, um, uh, and secretary of defense of Austin and, and, and secretary of state Blinken, you know, they have, they have a big challenge on their hand because our personnel are getting injured. And, you know, if, if, if this wasn't me sitting here and I was watching this, you know, I might sit there kind of with an eyebrow raised, but all I can tell you is, is people are stacking up at Walter Reed. And, and when those doctors there believe it, you know, I went in there for PT, you know, it's a really humbling experience to go to Walter Reed because, you know, you go to NICO, the TBI center, then you go across the street to their, their physical therapy part. And I'm the only one there with a limb. I mean, there's double amputee and, and, and double amputees. And, and, and I stopped, I stopped feeling sorry for myself, mm-hmm. but I was talking to a doc there and I said, Hey, I'm one of the, you guys know what this, I'm one of the OGA guys, the other, other government agency guys. And she goes, I know all about you. And, you know, and, you know, and I know your case and, you know, I've treated a whole bunch of DOD folks with the same thing. And I was like, really, you know, that, that's kind of interesting. And so it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's going to be, have to be dealt with. I think, you know, thank God for two things. And it's ironic as a CIA officer, I'm saying this, thank God for the press, 
You know, I went public on this with GQ and a couple and a whole bunch of other <laughs> press outlets have really run with this. Um, whether it's you know it's CBS News or New York Times or NBC or Fox or anybody, uh, and because and it really put a lot of pressure on the government to to, to make sure people got health care. So you know the what is the the press is called the fourth estate, and it, you know coming from a CIA officer, it's pretty crazy to say it, but they've been you know the the press has been amazingly helpful in, in really helping people who were hurting. Were you not prior to the press getting involved? Were you not? Getting the attention that you needed, or oh yeah, no. So I, I was begging for healthcare. You know, I, I had a splitting headache and <clears throat> it wasn't it wasn't going away. And I was like, just get me to get me to you know. First, I wanted to get any kind of healthcare, and the agency rejected that. <clears throat> then, <clears throat> excuse me, after I went public, um, it was to get me to Walter Reed because they had started sending people there in ones you know in, in just single digits, um, and still there was a reluctance. Uh, and so you know, look, there's there's a long you know sorted history, whether it's Agent Orange or Gulf War Syndrome, or even going to like the NFL with with CTE with with head injuries. You know, right. it takes organizations a long time to get yeah. to the right place. Yeah. Right. Eventually, they do, um, but it just took uh, you know a, a lot of pressure to do it. And I tell you, I go down the hill and I will meet with the staff or the members, such as you know Senator Warner and Senator Rubio. That's two different sides you know of the aisle on the, on the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. And then, then you, I go meet with the staffs of Adam Schiff and Devin Nunes. Do you think they agree on anything in life? They actually do on this one issue. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. And so, you know, they're really passionate about people trying to get, uh, you know, uh, get, get care, uh, cared for. Because, look, you know, they're, they have access to all the classified information. I, I, don't, I do not anymore. But, you know, they, they want to see people getting uh, the health care they deserve. It's uh no, it's awesome that you know that happened, and it felt like for a little while they were throwing all you guys to the wolves, and they yeah. were kind of treating it the way uh, our government treated Agent Orange, Gulf War Syndrome, exactly. things like this, um, even PTSD and TBI itself to some extent, pretending these things aren't really happening uh, when right. they when they are, and when you're not treating it, it gets worse and worse and worse. Um, once you did get to Walter Reed. Could you tell us about um, what the TBI clinic is like, what that treatment oh, sure. is, what the process is that you have um, gone through? Sure. So, you know, this is a, a really, it's an emotional uh, uh, subject for me because they saved me. And, and I could talk about this for hours, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll say a couple things. You know, first, you know, you go there and you don't feel alone. And so traumatic brain injury is something that the military has come to terms with. But, but NICO has seen this, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the two decades of this kind of never-ending war. And so you go there and it's a, it's this integrated, you know, one month program called the intensive outpatient program, where for 10 hours a day, you see 18 different specialists. Um, you go there with a, with a cohort with several people with you. I was there with someone from, you know, from, from Naval Special Warfare, Naval EOD, and then Air Force with a, a combat controller from AFSOC. And, and you're there for, for a month together and you see everyone from, you know, obviously you get imaging, you know, MRIs and, and CT scans, but you also do a lot of alternative th- uh, th- uh, therapy. And that to me, and that's where they're brilliant. And that's what really worked. It's art therapy. It's meditation. It's yoga. Um, it's nutrition. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's a, it, it was, it was, you know, total wellness training. And it was pretty incredible. And all else, you know, so people, you know, if you, if people who know me would be like, are you kidding me? Like you're sitting around doing yoga and deep breathing. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, uh, that has actually been embraced by the special operations community much more than, than, than people would think. Um, cause it works. Uh-huh. And so I left there with two things. I left there probably think, you know, feeling 20, 20% better. The sleep study part is a huge thing. You know, you know, 50% of TBI victims develop sleep apnea and sleep apnea is a deadly condition, but that's 50% of TBI victims. So uh-huh. I have this, you know, I look like a B1 pilot. I, I sleep now with this machine called a CPAP. Um, I felt amazingly better after that. So I walked out of there feeling about 20% better. 
but it also gave me two things, which is, you know, is tools uh, and, and hope because they believe you. Uh, and, and I still go back now, as I was telling you guys, you know, you know, kind of in the pregame session, I went there for some acupuncture treatment today. I mean, you know, you know the U.S. military has developed incredible acupuncture techniques that, you know, the, the guy I get acupuncture for has done this in MRAPs in Afghanistan and Iraq. And so you know, he calls it battlefield acupuncture. And so there's ways to ultimately, because they want you to feel better. And so, you know, when you go to a place every day, they ask you, you know, did you want to hurt yourself last night? And in, in my case, that was not the case, but that's the level of seriousness yeah. uh, uh, of that institution. And, you know, God bless those, those, uh, you know, the, the men and women there, you know, I have enormous respect for them. I've talked about it really openly, you know, you know, who, who would have thought that I turned into after 26 year career at CIA, I turned into a, a big time, you know, advocate of this alternative, you know, wellness training, but it works. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I really believe in it. I wonder if there's a combat acupuncture bad and what the qualification there should be. be. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. You know what? They, you guys might have seen this before. So they were doing these like these like staples in my ears. Oh, really? Um, uh, and so, and that's apparently very common that they've done this, you know, and, you know, because I, you know, I ran into someone who was a, first recon marine and you know he said he had, you know he, he actually you know he walked out one day and he saw all these guys with like this glittery stuff in their ear um but it, it's all based on chronic pain you know the relief of chronic pain um That's and i'll tell you that, that the one thing is after two decades of this there's a lot of people who are broken yeah uh, and so you know it's a it's a really serious issue and so you know god bless the the the, the folks at, at walter reed i have nothing but respect for them I, I, on that note mark uh you know you recently penned this op-ed i think it was today actually i read yeah. it i read in the washington times about a uh recently retired seal who took his own life i was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that article and sort of what, what happens when guys don't get some of the treatment that they really need Sure. So I got to say it was the Washington Examiner. So oh, the, thank you. I don't want to get in trouble for uh, <laughs> uh, for that. But no. So so the, the article is about uh, uh, an individual named Bill Mulder. And Bill Mulder was a member of, of SEAL Team 6. Um, and, uh, you know, he had served for, for two decades and 127 days after he separated and retired. You know, he took his own life. And, you know, I found the story, you know, pretty dramatic. And he had actually gone to NICO as well. He had gone to the TBI Center. And so I did, you know, in, in this, you know, in this kind of new journey I'm on and doing some writing, um, you know, I, I ended up talking to, to uh, you know, Bill's, Bill's widow, Sydney, um, and Bill's uh, brother-in-law, you know, William Negley. And it was just, it was an incredible, really, really, you know, heart-wrenching story because there actually was care for him at NICO. And he did it for a little bit, but then he chose not to. Mm -hmm. And, and Sydney kind of then talked to me about his, his, you know, how he, how he was, you know, kind of crumbling in front of her eyes. Mm -hmm. Um you know, ironically enough, and I didn't even realize it until after I wrote the article, I had actually worked with, with Bill, Mold, Mold, uh, Bill Mulder in, in the past. And so, you know, now I, now I kind of think back and I, I remember him. But one of the things that was most remarkable about kind of this whole, um, this whole issue is that Bill Mulder's, you know, brother-in-law, this guy, William Negley, then founded, or even before he was killed, he founded uh, 
a company called SoundOff. And SoundOff, in essence, is it's an application on your on your phone, because the whole premise is that you know uh, that that you know not only veterans but active duty as well, or even intelligence officers, you know, need a way to to communicate with a mental uh, health care professional or, or or a buddy. They need to do it anonymous, anonymously because of the stigma. Uh-huh. And there's an enormous stigma in this crazy type A, you know, alpha male, female, whatever world that we all live in. You know. If there's an invisible wound, you know, you can't take a knee. You, there's no gunshot. Uh-huh. And so so uh, William Negley founded this this app called SoundOff, and I was really taken by it. He actually has gone and he's he's ran this by, you know, all the soft foundations, the special operations foundations. And they're, they're, they've kind of bought, not physically, not, not monetarily, but they bought into it. Because ultimately, you need kind of that um, you know, a mechanism in which someone in need is going to try to get health care. You know, there's all sorts, you know, 17 uh, veterans, you know, commit suicide every day. That's a, that's a horrific number. Um, you know, I think 43% of the, you know, nine, post 9-11, you know, veterans actually have PTSD, you know, or those that have PTSD, they, they don't get treated for it. Mm-hmm. So we got to get people the help they need. And so, you know, I, I wrote this story to honor Bill Mulder, you know, p- perhaps his finest contribution in his death will be that, you know, there's a tool that, that, that people can use, uh, you know, certainly in the, in the, the veterans community, but also in the intelligence community, that's going to help them out. And so these are the things that I'm really passionate about. Thank you for, for raising it. I really yeah. appreciate it. And I, can you, for people who might be interested, is that app, is it available in the various app stores? Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's sound off. And so I think, you know, I'll, I'll get you more on that too. And maybe we can, we can kind of uh, tweet it out because I know it's, it was launched in Texas. That's where William Neckley okay. is from, but I know that te- they're, they're expanding their technology and it is, it is live right now. Um, so if, if you go online, you Google sound off, uh, you know, you'll find that, that, that application. I, um, I, I thought that w- one part of the article that it, it mentions that, um, this, uh, SEAL team six operator felt like he couldn't go and get help because he'd be kicked off the teams. I mean, obviously being a SEAL is like the most important thing to, to, to this dude's life, he invested everything in it, understandably. And the fear of course, is you're going to get kicked off your team if you go and try to get help. I uh, I worked on a story about a Delta Force operator, Billy Levine. Um, he w- had his own demons. He uh, shot and killed his best friend. A uh, couple of years later, he himself was murdered. Apparently, on Fort Bragg, still under investigation. An amazing story, I know. Yeah, he he made comments to uh, to Mark Leshikar's sister, um, his his buddy's uh, his buddy's sister about how many guys didn't didn't come out directly and say it but about how many guys in the unit are hurting and need oh, yeah. help but they can't get it or they feel that they can't get it because they will be kicked off of their team and this is a real real problem that we have oh, with yeah. our our most elite guys so jack you're 100% right so sydney told me that 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 her husband told her like if you report me that i'm hurting so much i'm going to get shit canned from the command that's the right. exact quote Right. Um, and, and what's so interesting in, in the, you know, in this kind of new world that I'm in now advocating for healthcare, I actually have gotten to know and be friends with the former command psychologist at SEAL, SEAL Team 6. And so I've had this incredible conversations um, with her because I was so interested in how, how, you know, we could help the intelligence community as well. But this is a really serious issue. And, and, and I'll tell you that, um, you know, whether it's whether, you know, you're a Green Beret or a Navy SEAL or, or a CIA officer, you know, if, if you don't have a visible wound, um, it's pretty tough to, to take a knee when you know your brothers and sisters are out there doing stuff. And, 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 I'll, and I'll leave you with, with, a, with, you know, with, a, with a pretty amazing vignette. So in Walter Reed, you do something, it's called, you know, it's called art therapy. And, and this is something that everybody embraces. There's a wall at, at NICO for, for SEAL Team 6. There's a wall for Delta. There's a wall for, for ASOC, for the different 
combat controller, you know, elements. And then now there's a CIA wall because so, so many of us are going there. But one of my colleagues uh, uh, from the agency, he's current active, you know, he's a senior intelligence service officer. He's a very senior guy. And he has been hit by this directed energy issue much worse than me. And he's in some pain. He put, he put this painting together. It's a, it's a black canvas. It's huge. It's probably, you know, six feet by six feet. It's just pure black. And then he took a took some paint and he just threw it on the canvas. And it, it looks like, a you know, it looks like a splatter. And he called it the gunshot because that's what he said he felt um, that he wished we all had. We mm -hmm. wished we had a visible wound. And that's what TBI is all about, whether you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a U.S. military veteran or, or an agency officer. And so, you know, because then people would believe you. Mm -hmm. All right. Hey, Mark, Mark got shot. You know, you know, he's, he's, right. you know, he's got to retire. That's fine. Right. Not, Mark got hit by some kind of, you know, screwed up wacky weapon. He's probably making it up to get disability. Um, and that, that, but, but was, and I'll, and I'll tell you, you know, a little inside baseball here um, for you and all the viewers uh, is that, that, that painting of the gunshot has been seen by the CIA director and it's been seen by white house officials as well, because it was so poignant and they came to Walter Reed and, and they saw that. And that was really important. I think that started the trend of saying, okay, we, we have a problem here. Like this is not, you know, something really is going on. Um, because if you meet a victim or if you see kind of this, the stuff they do in our therapy, you, you have a little bit of a different view. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Mark, I'm really curious to know uh, a little bit more about this dynamic as it applies to uh, CIA officers. Because I mean, of course, we do have CIA officers who are in combat in, in combat zones around the world. Um, but also, I have to imagine that there's a certain, uh, maybe a different type of, of post-traumatic stress that can develop. Pe people operating in high-pressure environments in places like Moscow, uh, Beijing, I, I don't know. Like, but I mean, you know better than I do, Mark, the kind of pressure that builds up in, in someone who has to work in, a, in an environment like that. Sure. So, you know, I came back from one posting, which was, a, and I can't, obviously, I, I I apologize. You know, it was a, it was in the Middle East. It was one of our critical counterintelligence environments. I was there for almost three years, and I developed, you know, high blood pressure, like like 170 <laughs> over 100. And yeah, the doctors yeah. were like, "What the hell? You know, where have you been?" And I was like, "Eh, okay, that kind of makes sense," um, because you are under that pressure. But, um, but you know, look, there, there's there's no doubt. You know, you, you sound a lot like you know, uh, uh, you know. So I, we see all sorts of therapists at, at Walter Reed, whether it's our therapists or or in, in even the folks who do the acupuncture or actually psychiatrists and so you know i love telling them that look hey i'm not like one of you know i, I don't have this kind of intense 20-year combat experience you know mm -hmm. I, I spent some time in afghanistan iraq certainly you know uh, you know i one, one of the you know one of our protective officers has an intelligence star for saving my life in, in iraq and so uh, certainly there were times where my life was at risk but i said I, it wasn't that bad and, and the psychiatrists are like sit down mark <laughs> yeah. actually it was because the one thing about a CIA officer, it's, it's actually pretty interesting if you, when you kind of, when you kind of, uh, you, know, you know, kind of peel away the onion is we work alone all the time. So as, as an operations officer, you know, my job is to spot, assess, develop, recruit, and handle an agent. And when you do that in some of the denied area environments or, or in a place where, you know, the, the sanction for getting caught is, is the death of an agent, mm -hmm. there's, that's an enormous responsibility you have. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, you know, you know, for me over the years, I, I was, you know, and I talk a lot about this in the book. 
um, about about dealing with adversity. You know, I'm lost agents. You know, these were people who trusted their life to me, and and I made mistakes, um, or they made mistakes, or you know, uh, you know, just just you know, you know, you know, fate kind of hit us, and and they died. And so, cumulatively over the years, after 26 years, I think I'm fine. But when I sit down and I talk to you know the psychiatrist of Walter Reed, I think that they they love me because I think they could like sit with me for like several years. Like I'm I'm a I'm a great project of theirs because you're exactly right. It's it's not a combat veteran of multiple tours have been shot at. It's it's someone who's dealt with a lot different pressures. I have my injury from this, you know, this, you know, these mysterious directed energy attacks, but there's a lot of other stuff I dealt with over the years, including deaths of officers that, that I led, um, deaths of agents, uh, and just kind of, the, you know, the, the pressure of, of kind of, you know, you know, you know, running these, uh, these, these operations. And so, uh, you know, I think, I think you're right. I think it's a, it's a different kind of pressure, but, um, it's also something that's, it, well, here, it's never talked about. Yeah. Uh, you know, I sent, let me, let me tell you one quick, I, I sent that article to one of the senior most uh, operations officials at the CIA the other day. And his response was, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe we should kind of take a look at this. You know, maybe we got a problem. Um, and I was like, yeah, good. <laughs> That's the right answer. I, I think, you know, it's interesting because I think that people often equate post-traumatic stress with, you know, shell shock. Right. And, yeah, and, yeah. You know, the idea of there was a traumatic event, you know, my best friend died in my arms or, or whatever. There was a traumatic event. And, you know, like a, a shrink at the VA told me, like, there are multiple, like, trauma is trauma. And sometimes yeah. trauma can be this low grade trauma, you know, just it, it's like having one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake for, for an extended period of time. That just yeah. wears your adrenals, just wears you down. It doesn't have to be a single significant event that causes like these night terrors or you know. right. Dave, you're you're 100 right. And, you know, it's funny because the the psychiatrist today, um, you know, uh, you know, he, he actually he, he told me he said, look, I, you know, there he's actually wasn't happy with me. He goes, you know, you wrote this article, you know, kind of you know trying to honor the legacy of Bill Mulder and, and the four year anniversary of his of his passing. You know, you wrote your book. And he's like, but you you are doing nothing to take care of yourself because mm -hmm. their contention is, you know, there's there's a lot going on, you know, in me after all these years, you know, because you sit down with 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 you know with 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 mental health professionals and you kind of they they want to know about you, so you tell them everything, and you know they want to talk about you know my parents divorced when I was ten, right, and then losing an officer in Afghanistan, and then losing an agent in Iraq, and and you know you know having a car bomb hit you know uh, uh, embassy in the Middle East, and you know being my whole family almost like. There's so much stuff that's happened over the years, uh, and then including kind of the the you know what I call the moral injury of when I came out and kind of pleaded for healthcare. You know, I was the agency really kind of shunned me for a while. Now they're not now, right? You know, Director Burns has taken a, a much different tack, but there's a lot of kind of shit that's gone on in my head, and so I agree with you. Trauma can manifest itself in a lot of different situations. So even the stuff I'm doing now in retirement, they're like, you've got to stop. Right. Next week I'm going down to the Outer Banks. I'm taking my son and a whole bunch of his college buddies. I'm the chaperone. So, so, you know, and so I'm doing nothing. I'm, I'm tuning out, no media stuff, no book stuff. And I'll have four days of trying to have them not burn the house down. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's very interesting. I, you know, and it's like you said, well, I didn't do what these guys did or whatever. And it, and even, I mean, on the civilian side, like sometimes I, I've had like my civilian friends tell me one time, yeah, I have post-traumatic stress, but I don't, like, I don't want to tell you about it because you were in the military all these years. I'm like, look, it doesn't, post-traumatic stress is post-traumatic stress. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't have a requirement as to how you got it or, like, or, um, 
but there's no glorious way to get it. You know, there, there is, you know. So, so yeah, yeah, let me, let, if you don't mind, you know, I love please. Stories. Yeah, please. I think you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, the, the, the viewers like it as well. So, you know, here's a, here's a, a great example. So, <clears throat> you know, I, we, I, I came back from Iraq and I think I maybe told you this story before, you know, I, I went in with Naval Special Warfare into Baghdad for the HVT hunt. So we're rounding up the deck of 55. We're running and gunning every night. I don't even remember. I didn't shower for six weeks. Um, and then finally we're done and I come out of there, but we had, I'd seen a lot of bad stuff, you know, dead bodies and disemboweled. I mean, it was just, it was terrible, you know, you know, and, and when I got home after, after six months there, I, w- I started having just like horrendous nightmares. I was, I was seeing, you know, dead people. Like it was really, it, it was, there was no doubt it was PTSD. I go to the agency shrinks, you know, for, for my kind of, you know, reintegration thing. And someone's sitting behind a keyboard. How you feeling? What do I say? I'm good. Yeah. Like, you have any that? No, I'm good. And they cleared right away. So I'm cleared to go right back in. Yet, yet at home, my wife thinks is, 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 is scared. I'm going to, I'm going to do something crazy in the middle of the night. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a perfect example of, you know, so, you know, as a CIA case officer, I wasn't the pull, I wasn't the trigger puller on stuff. You know, you know, I, you know, I was, I was running agents that led to HVT takedowns, but, um, but I also saw a lot of bad stuff and it's clearly that messed me up. And so, you know, it's, it's what you see, not even what you actually do. You can have PTSD from, from, you know, seeing a terrible car accident. Right. You know, as a civilian. And so, right. uh, you know, that, that, that's really stuck by me a lot, you know, in, in, in you know, years later. And, and uh, look, there's, there's, I, I remember, I remember seeing studies, people kind of mocked it. There is, there is PTSD amongst drone pilots and yeah. sensor operators. Yep. And so people, you know, my Air Force buddies, I have a great buddy who's a B-1 pilot. He's like, ah. I'm like, well, hold on a second. You know, so so this is real. These people are actually really suffering. And so, you know, again, it, it comes in all different forms. Yeah, no, I, I'm probably one of the first people that would have laughed at, at the whole notion of a drone operator having PTSD. But now now having talked to many of them, uh, like, I get it. Like, they're watching people and dropping bombs on them. And then... Yeah. And then watching the aftermath, the body parts, and stuff. it's horrible. It's horrible shit. And it's, and it's you know, it's, it's it's funny you say that. One of my good buddies is a uh, you know former. He's a F sixteen pilot. Then he then he you know he flew uh, you know flew well, he flew Reapers, you know MQ nines, and he's retired now. He called me. He's out out in the Midwest, and he bought this giant ranch, and he's really happy with his family. And I think he doesn't miss any of that stuff. Um, he's he's kind of come to peace with a lot of things. But, yeah, yeah. You can't don't you know don't mock anyone if you know. Um, who says they're they're having some some issues with with PTSD? It can come in all forms. Right. Uh, we got a couple questions here. Uh, Mark can uh, can Mark explain the difference between ground branch contractors and blue badger PMOOs? Additionally, how competitive is it to become the latter? Is the recruitment pool most, mostly limited to former JSOC operators? <coughs> Great question. So first of all, I was a regular case officer. I wasn't a paramilitary case officer. I did you know, work with, with my kind of, you know, my special activities, you know, brethren all over the world. And, and I was a base chief and I ran a paramilitary base. Very often you see that they'll take a kind of more senior, uh, you know, a, a case officer run, run the PM base. But the difference is a paramilitary, you know, officer is it's a, it's a, it's a CIA staff officer. They've, they've come into the agency. They will have gone through, you know, what we call the farm. So they have case officer training. Um, some of the contractors are a little different. Sometimes they're taken from the special operations world, uh, and, and so, you know, and they don't have the, the same skills as a, as a case officer would, it doesn't diminish anything. In fact, out of the 137, you know, stars on the wall, there's a lot of PMOs on there, PM, I'm sorry, PMOO contractors on there. And so God bless them. They were great friends of mine. 
one of the great things about the contract cadres, I'd see them all over the world and, and keep running in, into them. Um, and, and they are kind of the backbone of some of our kind of our special activities, uh, uh, you know, operations. Um, in terms of getting, you know, recruited into the, the PMOO world as a staff officer, look, it's, it, that's a bit of a misnomer that, that, they, that you have to come from the special operations world. You know, there's a lot of there is there is certainly conventional army and, and, and Marines as well who, who go there. And I think, you know, obviously you have to have some, you know, you know, some some unique skills. But the other part, too, is that, you know, what CIA is always looking for is is, you know, having this, you know, a different you know take on the world. And so you come into the organization and look, you, you want to certainly you want to live and, and work overseas. But, you, you know, a lot of times we're going to ask you to learn a language. Um, a lot of times, you know, you, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're, you know, and, and even the PMOOs will do sometimes regular kind of case officer assignments. And so it's this kind of wanderlust, it's this desire to, to be interested in other, you know, languages and cultures. Um, so you don't have to necessarily be, come from the special operations community. Some of them do. Um, clearly on the, on the contractor side, a lot of them do. Um, but I know a lot of them who, who do not as well. And so uh, uh, you know, it's, if, if, you know, if folks are interested in it, it's a, it's a heck of a job. I think, you know, one of the things that, that this is, this is not to dissuade anybody from being interested in this, but, you know, I, I, so I sent that Washington Examiner article today to, um, to some former senior officers of CIA and their immediate response, cause we're talking about the Navy SEAL community, their immediate response is, Hey, you know, how are we doing this kind of stuff? Like taking care of, of, of ground branch. Um, because it's been 20 years of the same kind of incessant, yeah, never-ending yeah. deployments, mm-hmm. um, and and like, I, I love these, I love these guys. Like it calls all the time. You know, there's a local watering hole here called the Vienna Inn, Dive Bar in Virginia, and I meet them all the time when they come through. Um, but I think we got to take a, a you know a really strong look at kind of mental health um, situation of of some of our ground branch officers and contractors as well. Who you know, it's a relentless pace for for two decades. Uh, D, what's uh, what's up first? Oh, okay. So, Mark, when you first went to the CIA and said, hey, man, I got this health problem, um, I need to get treatment, would you say that their response was rather flaccid? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so would I. And we have something to help with that. <laughs> Dave, what do you got for us? Uh, hey, guys. Uh so COVID's been a bitch, right? I mean, COVID really has. It's been, been horrible. Long, it's been a long, uh, long couple of years. But hey, it's we're we're oh things are opening up. Spring has sprung, and it's time to get sprung. Um, uh, Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder, stronger erections. To combat, and we all like combat, uh, all forms of ED. Like a baby's arm with an apple in its fist. Standing at attention. Uh, Present arms, right? I I guess we would call it. Uh, Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door. In a discreet package, so your neighbors aren't. Your neighbors be, don't know what's what the yeah, deal is. Your yeah. neighbors aren't going to be stealing it off your uh, off your porch, <laughs> you know. In order to like, <laughs> the process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, uh, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. And who doesn't want to do everything online now? Honestly, true, true story. And there's a uh, code, a promo code, if you go there. 
Use the promo code TEAMHOUSE to get your first month free. Yeah, first month free. Uh, and you'll get screened, I believe, by one of their medical professionals. That's pretty, that's pretty baller, you could say. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, guys, if you, know, you want a little help in the bedroom... There's no shame, Kings. Your thing. So, and honestly, I mean, with all of sort of the post-traumatic stress, and I'm not saying blue chew is a treatment for anything except for, you know, ED, but, you know, with all these things and your cortisol levels rising and stress, you know, increasing, like sometimes that does have an effect on a person's physical, on a guy's physical yeah, yeah, performance. Yeah. And then having an effect on his physical performance can also kind of, like, start to affect his confidence even more. And it can be this cycle. So, you know... Sometimes things like this are, are a good preventative medicine in their own way. Not saying that Blue Chew is, just saying that sometimes we can all use the help. All right, so we got some more questions here. Uh, How do I follow that up? Say yeah, I know, I know. That's a hard, it's a hard act to follow, Mark. I'm sorry, man. All right, let's go. Uh, another GB question. From your perspective, how did GB differ from other soft SMU in, uh, SMUs in terms of missions, culture, capabilities? Are they really as elite as they're made out to be, like more elite than SEAL Team 6 or Delta? Oh, God. How, how do I answer that question? Look, every, yeah, every, they're putting you on the spot. Right. Every one of these you know, organizations is, is certainly different. So, so you know, and, and I got to be careful in terms of kind of you know exceeding my brief here, but but ultimately, look, the U.S. the U.S. IC for the CIA's paramilitary capability is a intelligence gathering function. So just you know, you have to you have to really understand that it's not a direct action function. So you know, we are not SEAL Team Six. Um, you know, the agency's units are not SEAL Team Six. They're not uh, uh, they're not Delta. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, you know what what the, what the paramilitary capabilities of the CIA you know, need to be, should be, and are be, it, 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 is, it is a, you know, a forward deployed uh, 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 unit that in a combat zone can collect intelligence. And so never forget that the primary goal of the special activities uh, uh, officers of the CIA is to collect intelligence. It's not to kick down doors. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of the best way to, to differentiate um, between, you know, the, the, you know, the units that you see all sorts of, you know, of uh, uh, lore about. Um, the direct action units and what what CIA does, and and that's it's pretty important to understand that. And within the agency, it's it's very obvious. Mark, you are a uh, Greek American, as is our producer D. Now, listen, I'm not I'm not going to get into. So I want to stir up a bunch of ethnic controversy, but certain people are known to have problems with body hair issues, maybe a little bit excessive, more than they intended to have. Uh, and that brings us to the other sponsor for tonight's show. Manscaped. You guys want to take a look at this here, uh, Dave? You want to show off the uh, trimmer? You oh got, yeah, uh, and actually, let me read a little bit of that. copy real quick. Mark, do you mind if we talk oh, about God. body hair for a second? Sorry, th- this is the man <laughs> show. This is the man show here. We're talking about balls and wieners. We want to make sure you guys are taken care of. So, guys, our other sponsor, like Jack said, is Manscaped, and we've talked about Manscaped before. Mm-hmm. I use it. I like it. I like it a lot because uh, anybody who has tried to trend their nether reasons before has probably run into a, a, uh, an accident, a, a bleeder, a bleeder. Um, but that doesn't happen with Manscaped. So, um, summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? Uh, I mean, or your dad bod, I guess you're in luck. <laughs> Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes a lawnmower 4.0. Oh, so that's 
It, it's it's like this. This is the 3.0. The new one is the 4.0. That's what you'll get when you go and order today. Yeah, I've been using 3.0, but it's good. Yeah, they sent us these really nice packages, which are fantastic. Because in addition to the trimmer, uh, you get this amazing Reviver ball toner. Ball toner? Yes. And this is the ball deodorant. Because nobody likes sweaty balls. Nobody likes stinky balls. Um, so, yeah, so they got their 4.0. Um, it's time to bundle it with Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Trimmer. Oh, that sounds good. I don't have that. And I need it, man. I Are you, getting, are you guys getting the nose hairs? Yeah, man, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. I'm getting older. Yeah, I do. Um, crop Reviver Toner Performance Box. Oh, boxer briefs and a travel bag. And the travel bag's pretty nice. Do we have that in there? Uh, this little guy right here. No, it's uh, down here, actually. Oh, my gosh. It's it's a... Uh, oh, yeah, look at that. That's like a whole uh, shave kit looking bag. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, uh, so they have a lot of really nice stuff in here, but it's waterproof, guys, and it has a little LED on it. So you can see where the area that you're working. Um, and it has a kind of protector so you don't get those nicks and cuts when you're shaving those sensitive areas. The jewels. So don't make your partner be an expert in jungle warfare. Oh, uh, yep. yeah. And go to manscaped.com uh, and use our exclusive code TEAM20 to get, is it 20% off? 20% off. Anyway, it's... Balls and wieners. We product. got you covered. Yeah. Mark. Another hard act to follow. I'm sorry, man. Sorry, Mark. Uh, okay, you, Mark, uh, another question for you. You mentioned last time you worked with FBI HRT, was wondering what you made of them as operators and how well do they work in an OGA environment? So, you know, it's, that's a, it's a great question. So FBI HRT, you know, for, for you, know, uh, I, you know, reasons I, I don't know, and it doesn't really matter, you know, did deploy to Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, I don't know if they were trying to just, you know, get in the fight or, uh, 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 or, or get some experience, but, uh, or, or, and, and there were reasons of course, to go into Iraq because we certainly were looking for, for example, the files of the, you know, Iraqi intelligence service. And so there were specific locations we were going to, but the HRT folks I, I work with were fantastic. Um, you know, you know, super dedicated, you know, in terms of, in terms of their, uh, uh, you know, capabilities are, are, you know, as, as good as any, um, I think that, you know, for me, one of the most interesting things was, look, I'll never forget, we were, and, and, and maybe some people, you know, who are listening or, or watching will remember, there was a, there, you know, this was in, I think it was March or April of 2003, there was a massive sandstorm. And, and you know, that, and we were stuck in kind of, a, it was a JSOC base in, in Saudi, but, but everything was kind of socked in. And so it was, I was two or three days in a tent. So I was stuck with these FBI HRT guys. And so what do you think I asked them? Hey, tell me about Waco. Like, tell me about all this stuff that I've heard. And so, you know, I mean, you know, why not? And so it was it was really interesting for me to kind of just, you know, kind of get a sense of some, you know, what their view on some of the controversial things that had happened in the past. But, you know, there's no doubt that they're, you know, they're 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 technically incredibly proficient. You know, they they worked well with us, you know, they integrated in with our teams, they integrated in with the JSOC folks. Um uh, you know, I didn't see them ever, you know, engage in any kind of combat missions. Uh, it was certainly more of trying to go after things like, you know, the, the files of the Iraqi intelligence service, um, uh, which, we, you know, which, which I think we were always looking for, you know, for example, you know, their files were, you know, what, what U.S. agents they had recruited. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was, you know, why, why FBI was uh, kind of, uh, you know, with us. Um, 
uh, and, and, you know, you know, kind of to this day now, um, you know, I, I have some, I have some friends who, you know, have retired from there, but like, you know, my, my view of kind of their active duty folks, I, I'm not, I'm not familiar anymore. Well, Mark, if you want to know more about Waco and Ruby Ridge, check us out next week. Oh, yeah. Danny Colson is a founding, basically the founder of FBI HRT. We're going to have him on next week. Yeah. yeah, he'll be on next week to talk about specific about those two issues. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, you know, fascinating stuff. And, and uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, I think that, that you know, for, for better or worse, I, I don't know if it's if, if that, you know, helped or tarnished their image. But these are incredible professionals. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. If, if someone, you know, if. If, if you know one of the bad guys in my past comes to my house and it, and it somehow has got me and my family locked up here, that's who I want to come save me. Yeah, and they're down the road in Quantico, so I would have no problem with them. You know, kind of kind of being the the QRF for me. That's for sure. That's awesome. Uh, quick question from Andrew: Ask Mark if he is a pirate enthusiast. <laughs> okay, so the pirate right behind me, right there. What an awesome question. <laughs> um, I, I made that mask. No, this is this is that. Now we're going to get serious. I made that mask in art therapy, and that ah, was that, that signified. At, 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 uh, sorry, at art therapy at at, at NICO at, at Walter Reed. That signified all of us from the CIA who had battled the agency's medical staff and senior staff to get treatment, and we are this kind of rogue band of brothers. So, so I made that mask. <laughs> I, I gotcha. That That's awesome. It, Mark- it's, it's meaningful. Um, and cause, and, and, you know, in, in essence, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say that we won because that, that's, that's silly. All we were trying to do is get, get healthcare, but, but that was kind of, that was really meaningful. So that's why that little guy is in the back right there. Mark, I know you don't want to like pro- project onto people that you may not know their actual intentions, right. but did you get a sense of why it was being shut down? Like the, the yeah. whole idea. So what a great question, because. You know, so ultimately, if you know, if there's a lot of people in the media, and I'm not going to, I don't want to get into the kind of fight between the right and the left or anything like that. But there's there's some people in the media who want me to say, so ultimately, we didn't want to, you know, right. to attribute this to the Russians because the CIA director didn't want to go to Trump, who is a Russian sympathizer. And I said, I don't think it, it, it never even went that far. Right. This was just basic incompetence by our by our senior medical staff and some senior officials at CIA who fundamentally kind of broke the trust. So look. I had this amazing career at CIA. I think I was involved, like many others, I'm, I'm no different than the kind of the, the heroes that I, I serve with, but I was involved in every covert action program in the Middle East. I, you know, every time someone, some, some bad shit happened, I raised my hand and I went. But I always did so with understanding there's a pact that if I got jammed up, someone's going to help me. Right. Period. And, and that means medical care. Right. And so, and, and, and they just fundamentally failed in that. And that to me was, is, is kind of, is, is pretty egregious. And so, you know, what is the, so the senior medical staff at CIA, are they there to help our institution or are they there to treat patients? And I'm not so sure what the answer is. Right. Um, and so, so I don't, I don't go down kind of that political rat hole. It's going to get any, yeah. it's not going to get anybody anywhere. I think it's just, and, and look, I, you know, it's the government and God bless, you know, it, like, the CIA is an indispensable national security institution, but it's still the government. And so I think this is, this bit goes down to kind of basic government incompetence that was unable to deal with um you know people who were injured with this kind of silent wound right that's interesting do you did you ever get a sense if it was happening sort of at the provider level at the like the chief medical officer yeah. level like at the senior level no so so here's here's the here's the amazing thing about it the junior medical uh, the junior doctors in our office of medical services were amazing and they looked on in horror what they were seeing when 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 i was like please for fuck's sake get me to healthcare. right like, I'm, I, you know and the answer was no. And and literally, people at senior levels were saying things like, "You're making it up for workers' comp. 
workers' comp. I retired in the senior intelligence service. Right. I can't get workers' comp. Right. It'll screw everything up in my life. <laughs> um, and so, you know, uh, or, or that I'm trying to do this to get publicity. And like, I was hurting. Right. And so, you know, that's the thing that is, that is kind of so, it's, it's, I think it's a stab in the back. This yeah. To show a fundamental leadership failure because these people were not leaders. Now, you two, if someone came to you and said, hey, someone, you know, someone was working for you was hurting, you're not going to say, like, okay, if you're a police officer, or I'm sorry, if you're in a car accident, and, 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 you know, and, and, the, you know, and, and you're going, okay, so, so my, my people are in a car accident. I got to get them. I got to get them to the hospital, but let's wait for the police investigation to see who's at fault. Like nobody does that. Right. Right. Get them to the hospital. Right. And so, so it just, it would, it, you know, it's the same question that people ask me all the time. You know, why did the CIA bungle this so much? I don't know the answer. Right. Um, and it's, 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 it's either, you know, it's, it's basic incompetence, you know, perhaps they're worried about liability as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when, what I did, I hired a lawyer, I hired a lawyer very specifically and I paid my lawyer money with a simple instruction that was communicated to the CIA, get me to Walter Reed. I'm not going to sue the agency for anything. I don't care. I, you know, we, we socked away a lot of money. I was in the senior intelligence service. My wife was in the senior executive service of the government. She's got a private sector job. I don't need anything. Um, uh, just get me to Walter Reed. I have no interest in anything else, but they kept you know that that you know they thought otherwise, and so that was re- that was really disheartening. I mean, you know, I, I'm pretty open about kind of my my struggles with this, and uh, it caused me tremendous anxiety because um, I just couldn't understand why they wouldn't just do the right thing. Right. Um, Tim just wanted to say much respect and thank you for your service, all of you. Um, and before we get on to any any other questions, I just want to take a moment um, to ask you, Mark, your new book here, Clarity and Crisis. That's just out. Can you tell us about the book, what it's about, how th- how this came about. Why did you write it? So this is this is this is my baby now, and so it was really it was an amazing journey. It was a, kind of this cathartic experience <clears throat> because of the headaches that I suffered, you know, after the events in, in Moscow. I was able to, you know, after retiring, I could work two or three hours a day. But you know, if you're writing a book, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here, you know, here's what. So when it, by by the end of my CIA career. Um, you know, I, you know, and after after a ton of kind of failure and and kind of you know, dealing with a lot of humility and uh, you know, I, I realized that that I was actually a pretty good leader, but it took a long time to get there. And so one of the things I thought about is, you know, what are some of these leadership principles that allowed me to succeed? And and most importantly, and the reason why the book's called Clarity in Crisis, it's it's how to succeed in times of ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you want to be the one, you know, to 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 deal with. You know, situations where there's a lack of situational awareness. You know, you want to be that person there to to kind of live in the gray, and a lot of people are not comfortable about mm-hmm. that. And so, what I thought about, were, you know, I thought about nine principles, nine key things I did, which in essence was building a team, and and uh, uh, and not only building a team, but also you know, mentoring and teaching officers under me. Um, you know, teaching them about things like you know how to deal with adversity or fostering competition. That ultimately, when kind of the shit hits the fan. You're sitting there and you're, you're in your happy place. And, and I really remember being in that by the end of my career where I really could handle those situations, um, you know, in, in, in fine fashion. So you know, I decided to write a book about it because I thought two things. One, it would be really interesting kind of, you know, for the American people, even for the for the private sector just to see how we did this. And number two, is also it's also kind of an homage to the agency and just, you know, to the to, to the to the profession of, of, of intelligence operations. Um, you know, despite kind of the agency, you know, the medical staff and the senior officials not treating me so well, it's still an institution that I love, you know, my, my, you know, if you talk about my shrinks at Walter Reed, you know, think, think that's, there's, there's something off on that, but it still is true. Um, so I wrote this book and, and, you know, you know, it's a, I think it's a, you know, it's getting a lot of, 
you know, some really, really positive reviews because I think a lot of people are going to enjoy not only the war stories, but also what I'm trying to teach. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I'm really excited about it. And, and I mean, you let, you were in some really challenging locations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we talked about that on the last show, some of the places right, sure. that you were at. Um, and, you know, I think people in general don't like ambiguity and they want a certain amount, uh, you know, a, a certain amount of certainty. And, right. and if they can't have that certainty, in the situation, then maybe they start micromanaging more so they feel control even when they don't have it. And so you address that. Yeah. So, so, you know, that, that's, that's the amazing thing. When you build the kind of correct type of team and you teach these leadership principles, you actually micromanage much less. Um, and so, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, there's, there's so many different principles we can talk about, you know, we have some time tonight, but you know, one of my principles I talked about was being a people developer. Now that sounds really kind of, you know, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's commonplace, but it's really important. And I'll give you the exact example on, on why. So I'm a base chief in Eastern Afghanistan. We're getting rocketed every day. It's incredibly dangerous. We're calling in strikes. We're killing Al Qaeda and the Taliban. And I got to go to Kabul station is calling me because they're probably pissed that I'm being too aggressive. True story. So I, so a helo comes in and I got to kind of hop, you know, over to coast and from coast to finally get to, 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 to Kabul. And so I leave, and and my deputy was on R on R and R. So there's there's a line GS thirteen case officer sitting right there, and he said, "Hey boss, you're going to be gone for three days. I'm going to hold down the fort. You know, don't worry, I won't do anything." I'm like, "Oh no, that's not what I want to hear. You're running this base. You're running everything about it. I want you to be, you know, you know, not hyper aggressive, but do everything that that we've taught each other to do, um, because this is your turn to lead. You are now the acting chief of base. I'm not telling Kabul that you're the acting chief of base. I'm still in country, so there's no, you know, there's no formal turnover. But you're running the show, and I expect you to push forward. And you know, and his, his eyes are bugged out. Um, uh, and off I go. So, so you, you teach people the confidence to lead like that. So I, I talk about that story because later on we're dealing with this crazy operation where you know the, the weather's socked out. There's no ISR. We have an HVT on the X, and I talk about it in the book. And people at headquarters, I was actually not there again. I was back home. And, and, and senior official at headquarters like, we can't do this. I'm like, no, actually, we can. Because I know I have people on the ground who are ready to leave. Right. You know, they've been involved in this. And so, and so you know, let's go. Let's do this thing. And, and the senior official actually said to me, he said, hey, if this goes south, it's your career. I was like, sure, I'm good. I got no problem with this. Yeah. Because I've, because we've we've developed our people and we've gone through these these stages of these leadership principles and I have total confidence in my team and it, it was ultimately it was a it was a success but I, but I love talking about stuff like that because you know that's how you get to a place where you you operate in the gray and you're comfortable. You know it's it's fascinating talking to experienced leaders like yourself because we've had so many people on this show like say say those exact same things like Mike Perry was on and he said. You know, I went from thinking that a soldier was a five-year investment or a ten-year investment yeah, to yeah. a lifetime investment. You know that you're, you're, you know, and that that the really effective leaders such as yourself are really about empowering their. Uh, and, and that's I don't know, I don't know if it's that that's easy for a lot of leaders to do because I think that sometimes especially they're nowadays, yeah, that that they're. Their juniors will steal the spotlight, or that oh, their right. juniors, or they'll fuck it up, and it's all it on you. Reflect yeah. on me, or you know. So let me let me get. There's there's a principle I always talk about. I call it you know, and and all in my book is talking about dealing with adversity and humility. And so, 
you know, so this is not a book about someone who's thumping their chest that we're going to charge the hill. You know, right. I always joke with my friends who are SEALs and they get really pissed at me. I was like, hey, when you go through Bud's training, don't you get a book deal? Um, <laughs> they get really pissed when I say that and they'll probably be mad at me now when, when they hear this. But, but my book is about humility and dealing with adversity. Um, and, and one of the principles I talk about is, you know, I call is, you know, humility is best served warm. And, 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 I'll, and I'll give you a great example on this and because it, it's, it's, it's about taking responsibility and taking accountability. So I was running a unit. It was back at headquarters, but it was, it was still it was, it was a unit that was designed to take our enemy off the battlefield and just kind of leave it at that. And, and we, had a, we had an errant strike, you know, and, and some civilians were hurt. And that's really bad. And, and so, you know, so it's the, everything you see in the media about, you know, the CIA and the U.S. well, CIA in particular about kind of, you know, collateral, civilian collateral, like, that happens, but we do everything possible. Mm-hmm. You know, we cannot go through with any kind of kinetic activity without kind of almost a, a zero certainty for zero collateral call. And, 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 you know, obviously that some things go awry. So we made a mistake. Something happened. And we sat there. We kind of did a quick after action. I went up to our seventh floor and I talked about it in the book. And I go in a room and it's the director of the CIA, the deputy director, the 40 leaders of the agency. And they're like, what happened? The White House was pissed. Something went wrong in the strike. And I, and I, and I went in there, but it was very deliberate. And I said, this is my fault. You know, I run this unit. These are the three things that went wrong and we fixed it. These are the three things that we've done to fix this. Any questions? And it went on, it went on a little longer than that, but ultimately there was no questions. And I walked out and, and there was a, a, a very senior paramilitary officer who's kind of a legend in the place. I can't say his name, but he comes up to me and he says, uh, Hey, that was great. And I said, shit, you know, am I going to get fired from this? He's like, no, there was no questions. He said, I said, why? I said, you took, you took responsibility, you protected your people and you fixed things. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I went back down to kind of our little unit, um, you know, they're expecting me to kind of, you know, you know, start saying everyone's fired. No, I said, I got your back. Uh, and so, you know, and, but, but that kind of stuff is really important because so what does it do? So my superiors are like, all right, Mark fucked up, but he took responsibility. There was no doubt about it. I said, this is on me. Mm-hmm. Done. The people who work for me are like, hey, we fucked up, but Mark, you know, Mark has our back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, th- and then we make the changes because, you know, mistakes happen all the time. There, there is no such thing as kind of, you know, you know zero fail operations. And so I, I love talking about that. And then, but, but as we as CIA officers, particularly in the counterterrorism field, you know, a lot of times we have some great successes. And so you can't really walk around thinking, you know, your shit don't stink. Um, you got to have that sense of humility because, because, you know, you know, Murphy's going to bite you at some point. Yeah, um, but I love talking about that principle. So, so okay, so I built a team like that, and then so later on, when the shit hits the fan, and people are like, "What's happening here? What's going on? We don't have the situational awareness." I'm like, you know, my guys and gals are good. Yeah, they got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that I talk about. And I, I think, look, the the one someone told me something, a great piece of advice. They said, "Don't write this book for your friends," and, and you know, from you know, from from the agency or from from JSOC. Like you have to write this book for a from a, you know from a librarian who's who's reading this. Right, right. I have to identify with this, and so right. that's what I tried to do, and, and and try to make it kind of real. But the, the 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 biggest part about it is just you know like life is hard. Like I failed a lot. I was you know and I was a really good opera you know officer of the CIA. But man, it's it's like it's like playing playing baseball. You know, you hit three hundred. That means you you know you you make it you know seven out of ten ten times you're making an out. Right. Yeah, uh, Mark Jim has a uh, has an interesting question. I think for you, uh, he wants to know about your opinion of the conviction of John Kiriakou. Um, did he deserve oh, to go to prison? Uh, a fel- fellow Greek American served in the in the <laughs> Central Intelligence Agency. Um, what? And if you could explain a little bit about what happened to him uh, for people who don't know um, that he went to prison. So- 
look, look, I think, you know, so I knew John in the past, um, actually way before, uh, you know, when he got, you know, he got it kind of jammed up. And I think, you know, what John, apparently what he did incorrectly was, was kind of, you know, talk out of school. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you sign a secrecy agreement with the agency. Um, and, and look, everything I'm talking about right now in the book was cleared by the agency's publication review board, which is incredible because they clear a ton. Um, my book is chock full of operational stories, but all of it has been has been cleared. I think John went a little too far um, and and did some things that he probably should not have. Um, and it, it was at a time where you know where where uh, I believe it was under, even under the Obama administration, where you know they were going after folks who kind of divulged classified information. So he got he got jammed up. I knew John a long time ago. I have not talked to him since. Um, uh, I will tell you just kind of as as an aside. I, you know, I went back to Greece right before the pandemic. I gave a speech at this, you know, I was, I was in the private sector, obviously, and I gave a speech at some keynote speech at some Greek security conference. And, and boy, did the Greek Greeks know every single Greek American CIA officer. Like they will talk to you about everybody. I, I was treated like this conquering hero. It was really, <laughs> I was worried like 17 November was going to come back and kill me. <laughs> Representing the, uh, you know, the empire. The, the yeah. kind of anarchist group. Um, <laughs> but, but like, you know, John Kiriakou is a, you know, it's, it's, it's a, no, he, he, you know, he obviously served time in, in prison, um, uh, but, but, you know, it's clear that he, he kind of, he, he said some things that he should not have, and uh, he probably regrets that to this day. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would like to have John on the show, actually, to tell you the truth. Um, you know, I think like his, his qualms were, he had some moral objections to right. enhanced interrogation, and yeah, maybe he said some things that were inappropriate, not for me to say, but ended up, he, d- he did the time. You know, manned up to that. And so, you know, I, what, what I will say, though, uh, on this, and and, and, I, and actually it is important, is, you know, there are other outlets. And so, for example, you know, so I went public with my, um, with with the issues I had with the agency. And and trust me, and that was a different administration. So I heard a lot of things kind of behind the scenes that they were trying to come after me with stuff. But but it, in essence, I didn't, I didn't violate my secrecy agreement. But what I have done is, I spent a lot of time on the Hill with HIPSI, with the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence and the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. We call it HIPSI and SISI. Those are the oversight bodies fully read into everything, you know, into classified, uh, you know, they have all the, all the, all the read-ins. So I can talk to them about, uh, you know, classified information. That's the right avenue. That's the avenue I chose. And so while the agency now probably is not thrilled that I do this, it's a hell of a lot better than kind of talking in public about, about, about things. And so, you know, there are channels that, that one can use. Right. And that's what I, you know, that's what I have elected to do to try to kind of stay sound and abide by my secrecy agreement. Right. Mark, could you talk to us a little bit more in depth about the so-called Greek mafia at the CIA? Uh, <laughs> that, there, that there's a, there's a, gr- there's a group of you guys up there. Okay. So, so one of the, one of the amazing things, so look, there's so much I could talk about. So first of all, let me just say overall, being a Greek American has been enormously helpful to me. Nothing to do with, with, you know, kind of the, 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 the mafia that, that D thinks exists, <laughs> but it's, it's more so. So look, I was, I was a case officer in the near East. And so, you know, the Greeks and the Arabs were always really close. And so what I was able to do is it was pretty remarkable. You know, so, you know, when I went and served overseas, uh, you know, I'm an American official, but I'm, I have this Greek last name and, and the Arabs kind of gravitated towards me because they're like, okay, you know, you might be, you know, with the U S government, but you're really one of us. Um, so it was a huge advantage. And so I'll just, I kind of, I kind of throw that out there. Plus, you know, they drink Arak and we drink Uzo. Yeah. The same thing. Okay. As far as the Greek, there's a long line of Greek officials in the agency and, and, you know, in, you know, George Tennant, I think is the most famous, 
You know, I think his dad owned a diner in Queens. Um, there's Gus Avocados. Gus Avocados is this famous figure. You know, if you see the movie Charlie Wilson's mm-hmm. War, um, you know, he was, what, you know, one of the individuals who kind of, you know, uh, you know, helped kind of, you know, uh, uh, run and, and, and create the Afghan program to fund the, the Mujahideen. Um, and so there's always this kind of funny lore of, of, of Greek Americans. But I'm going to tell you a great story on this. And this is this is awesome because it, it goes back and um, everything plugs my book now. Sorry. <laughs> you, you plug this kind of, uh, you know, the, the Manscaped stuff. I'm plugging my book. Do it. Um, and so, so one of my principles I call in my book, I call family values. And again, you know, you know, obviously, a, you know, a, a very common, common theme, but here's what it means to me. It means that you have to build teams that have a lot of love and respect and care for each other, because that really matters when times are tough. So, uh-huh. so I'll, I'll tell you this story that it has to do with, with Greeks. And I think I told this to D as well. So I came back from Iraq. Um, uh, and it was, so, you know, this was probably, you know, and, and like everything else in life, you know, there's whether it's military, special operations, or, or or intelligence. There's an award ceremony, so I got a really big award. I, I got I, I I was lucky to receive the Distinguished Intelligence Medal, it's the agency's second highest award. And I came back. So my dad is a, is Greek. He's not a Greek. He's Greek American, but he's a Greek. He's solid Greek, and he remembers the days of the Greek junta, where you know there was a lot of abuses that happened with the right wing government in Greece. Frankly, you know, aided by the United States government and the CIA. So he's hated my career choice forever. Uh, uh, but I'm getting this big intelligence medal in, in probably late 2003. And so, um, so I, you know, he's invited, I invite my dad to the ceremony, but of course I know George Tennant because all the Greeks at CIA know each other and he's the, <laughs> he's the CIA director. So I go to George and I say, look, can you take my dad aside and talk to him? And so we're at the ceremony and, and I see George take my dad aside and, and they're speaking Greek together for like 15 minutes. And I come back and my dad has tears in his eyes. And I said, you know, what did what did the director say? He goes, nothing, you know, nothing, people talk, nothing. That's what he says. <laughs> and then, and then, and then I, and I, I see, I, you know, a couple of days later, I asked, I asked George Ten. I said, what did you tell my dad? And he said, I told him you were a hero. And then wow. he walked off, and I'm all choked up. And and so I say this in terms of family values. So so you know, whatever you think of of George Tennant, and he, you know, and of course the WMD issue is always going to haunt him, but he got it. You know, he understood that, and so. How can I not have this affinity for an organization that does that for me? Like right. he knew my dad hated the CIA. Right. And, and my dad to this day, like, and he'll, if he watches this or he reads the book, cause the story's in it, it'd be like, I still don't, I don't like the CIA. Very bad organization. But, but ultimately what George Tennant did for me really was meaningful. Right. Um, uh, and he, cause he did it. It, it was, it was personal. And so, you know, I love that story. And, uh, but my father, you know, to this day says, don't think I don't, it changed my mind on your organization. <laughs> right. <That's funny. laughs> He's 83 years old now. And so, you know, it's still, he's, so, so one of the funny stories and, and, and D will like this. I was in Greece with him last year. It was a father son trip. We went down to a place called Exarchia. Exarchia in Athens is the place where the Polytechnic lo- uh, uh, was located. That was where 17 November was born. And, and, and so, I went down there with him and I, I, I walked the streets of him, you know, with him there. And, and he's like, we're going to get killed here. You're a CIA officer. <laughs> um, but it never happened. And so, you know, we're doing okay. Yeah. Uh, we actually had a, a love star. Thank you very much for the very generous donation. Sorry that uh, our moderator accidentally deleted it. Um, he said, uh, did, and I think he's asking both of you this, the smart guys in the room, did the fundamental cultural divide Make the traditional Western material analysis null. Cue Adam Curtis music. That's a tough. Qu- that's a tough question to answer. 
Okay, Jack. Okay, I, I missed here, that. Sorry. Here, here's all right. Actually, Love Star uh, repost it for for Jack. Uh, and please chime in also. America is powerful. Why wouldn't you invade us? That's in quotes. How did your lived experiences in war relate to the political education you received oh. at home? I think I think I think what he's talking about is I had a um, the Iraqi partner force I worked with in Iraq made that comment to me once. Oh, okay. And he he's you know when the subject of of the 2003 invasion came up and I said something to them like you know maybe it wasn't the best decision we ever made you know but we're here now and you know we got to make the best of it work together you know that kind of thing and. I'll never forget this. He remarked to me, this was the leader of the Iraqi SWAT team. He, he said, well, you're a powerful country. Why wouldn't you invade us? And it, it's just the, the disparity between like how we see it as Americans and how they yeah. see it. Um, that like we have this sort of like uh, touchy feely kind of like, like we go and do all of these horrible things, but then we feel bad about it afterwards. We're like, oh, uh, we kind of like look inward. There's all this navel gazing that happens. Like, yeah, we did that, but we hate ourselves for it. But we're gonna do it again anyway because fuck it. It's a <laughs> we're a global power. Um, whereas the Iraqis, uh, or at least that Iraqi that that I that I knew had this perception of like look, the strong conquers the weak. This is the way of the world. This is how it works. And I'm not saying that's right and, and that America made the right decision or that like might makes right. But the, the, the disparity between the two worldviews was just incredible um, to, to hear. And it was also interesting that I thought that many Iraqis supported the invasion. And the the uh, and us getting rid of Saddam, they didn't have a problem with that. They hated Saddam. They were like like maybe like eighty percent of them were like that was great. You got rid of them. But now the question remains: Why the hell are you still here? <laughs> what what are you doing in our country? Um. So it, it was just interesting that the the sort of internal conversations we have in the United States about how we look at these conflicts are not the same internal conversations that are happening in these countries that we have invaded. Um, and I just thought that was fascinating. That is that, that is really interesting. Well, look, I mean, I, I spent you know, the, the majority of my career in the Middle East, and and of course, you know, look, uh, you know, this is not to disparage the Arabs. I actually, I, I fell in love with the region. I mean, I did so you know when I was a kid, and I ended up, you know, my whole career was 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 you know it was was there and dedicated to kind of understanding it and, and dealing with the Arab world. But the, but you know you know they have not been brought up with the same kind of values and norms that we have in terms of democracy. No. Um, and that's okay. And power. So, you know, and, and just, you, know. you know, you just have to kind of you know, understand that and, and, and acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, uh, let me, let me tell you a great story about it. this. This is, it's, it's, it's a bit similar because it has to do with Iraq. And, you know, I wrote a piece a while back in the examiner right? and I, there, there's a, there's a, a guy by the name of Charlie Seidel. Charlie Seidel was our chief of station in Baghdad Thank during you. the invasion. And I call him the, the last great American Arabist because he really was the last great CIA officer who understood the Arab world. He spoke beautiful Arabic. He actually, his dad was a CIA officer. He, he went to high school in Iran. He grew up in Pakistan, in Egypt. He went to high uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Beirut as well. And he spoke beautiful Arabic. And he was my chief of station in numerous places, but he was there in Baghdad at the time. And, and you know, he was beloved in the Arab world. I mean, here's someone who was, a, who was a, you know, he was a, he was a gentle figure. Um, understood the Arabs, but he also understood kind of the, the you know the power and the might of America, and and I was with him, and I and I and I and I've, I've thought deeply about kind of what happened in Iraq, 
Um, and there's something in this in me to write a book or a, a screenplay, you know, somewhere down the line. But I'll never forget because we were there when, if you remember, Paul Bremer first arrived on scene. Paul Bremer was the, the what was it called? The, the Coalition of Provincial Avoid, the CPA. The like the envoy, yeah. yeah. He, was, he was the grand, what, the viceroy, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the vizier. And, and so yeah. he arrived Sultan. there. Um, and, and meanwhile, what Charlie and I had been doing, Charlie and I had been meeting under the table in, in Baghdad with senior Iraqi officials saying, we got you. Like, we want to get rid of Saddam. Um, uh, uh, but we're not going to get rid of the whole government. We understand that. There are certainly people here who are war criminals, Saddam and Uday and Kusay and, right. uh, and others, the deck of 55, for example. But, but the deputy minister of health, you know, <laughs> come on. You know, we need you. We need the technocrats for a future Iraqi government. And we had that place wired. And Paul Bremer flew in and basically told Charlie to pound sand that we were going to fire the entire Iraqi military. We're going to debath. We, we're going to do this debathification, which, which in essence means we're going to we're going to we're going to destroy the entire Iraqi technocratic class in government. Right. And I remember the look of horror on Charlie's face, saying, "We've lost." And yeah. that was that's that's in. April, May, that's in May of 2003, where we in the CIA said we are, we just made, the U.S. government just made a catastrophic error um, because it didn't have to go, you know, uh, uh, this way. And so, you know, you know, you know, people make mistakes, you know, countries make mistakes and, and, you know, over the years, you know, sometimes good intentions, but, but boy, that was something that I think will never live down. And, and th there's a story in that somewhere because a yeah. lot of us in the agency who knew Iraq, <laughs> I had worked Iraq operations for a long time, Charlie, I mean, you know, Charlie, my, my boss, I mean, he'd been in Iraq in 1990. Yeah. You know, during, during the, the uh, when, when Saddam invaded Kuwait. And so a lot of us were not listened to. And, uh, and yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, Bremer knew what he was doing. He's wearing desert boots with a suit. I mean, a man like that is, is yeah. And he, he rolls is keen. He, on he rolls into the country and tells someone like Charlie that you're describing, who speaks perfect Arabic, right. who's lived around Arabs his entire life, just tells the guy to fuck off. Right. That's exactly what happened. And, yeah. and Charlie was devastated by that. Um, and, and look what's happened after that. And so uh, this is not to kind of debate the whole kind of WMD intelligence right. community fiasco. But I actually, I'm, I'm one of those who think that Iraq didn't have to end the way it did, right. despite the, the WMD mess, that we could have actually gotten out of there much quicker and done things a lot differently. And, yeah. and you know, uh, uh, it just, you know, I, I think, you know, George W. Bush, who for all intents and purposes is a, is a really good person, um, you know, uh, you know, there were some terrible decisions made yeah. that, uh, that, that, you know, even, you know, affect us, uh, to this day. I, I mean, even prior to the whole debathification, if they would have just leafleted all these areas and told the soldiers remain in place, we're taking over your payroll, right? Right. Like, you still have a job. Just stay right. where you are. Put down your weapons. We're going to, we're going to drive by you, but you still have jobs. Then you wouldn't have had all those disaffected right. people with no money. Yeah, turn into these. You work for you work for Saddam. Now you're going to work for yeah. America Light. Yeah, no worries. Okay, so so okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the show into a, into into a, you know a little tailspin. Now let's move to Afghanistan with yeah. the same issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So here I am in in eastern Afghanistan in 2011. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, 2011. And I'm talking to someone who's helping us, and he's you know he's someone you know it, it's a it's a local tribal chief in in eastern Afghanistan. And I said, oh, tell me about yourself, and he said, well. You know, um, uh, you know, I was part of the Mujahideen against the Soviet invasion. Uh, uh, but then, you know, um, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He said I was a communist under under Najibullah. Remember the old, the old Najibullah, the old, the, you know, the 
the uh, the Soviet-backed uh, ruler of Afghanistan, communist. And then, and then you know, he wasn't it wasn't going so well. So I switched to the Mujahideen. This is a senior tribal sheikh, um, uh, and 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 the, and the Muj were there. And then you know, um, you know, the Taliban took over, and it was kind of chaotic. But then you guys came, so I'm switching over to you right now. And 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 so I said to him, I said, "What are you going to do when we leave?" He goes, "I'll switch right to the Taliban." <laughs> right (laughs) yeah all politics is local yep yep uh andrew says fun fact flaccid is one of the most commonly mispronounced words in the english language the correct pronunciation is flack sid listen andrew no one likes a smart ass all right (laughs) uh metalhead says i've got the whole manscape set at home they're great uh, Jameson says, okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, can you mention how Delta integrates into CIA? So, okay, so I think, you know, look, like ultimately, JSOC and CIA, are, it's, it's a really interesting interesting relationship, and I've written a lot about this. Um, and so, you know, it, it's a relationship that was born, you know, not born, it, it's, it's been going on for a long time, but certainly has flourished after 9-11. And so, so you know, what has happened, and one of the things that I find most interesting as I know, my friends from SEAL Team 6 or Delta or the other units we're not supposed to talk about, but we can tonight on this show. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, you know, these were people that, these were individuals that I met, you know, probably in Afghanistan or, or around the Afghan CT fight. And then it went to Iraq and then it went to Yemen and then it went to, you know, Mal- so 20 years later, you know, we've all grown up together. So there is, there is, a, there is a, an incredible synergy between, between the Joint Special Operations Command and the agency. And because ultimately the agency is designed to kind of feed intelligence um, for the CT mission and, and the direct action elements, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, lie in JSOC. And so um, it's it's a relationship that I think has been, you know, pretty extraordinary. I, you know, there's, there, you know, everyone wants to hear that the relationship is terrible. And, and I, I actually, to, you know, to the contrary, I have great friends um, from Army and, and Navy and then also Air Force, you know, you know special operations units. And, um and and as as kind of the years went by, you know, you have a lot of trust together. So I'll give you a perfect example. There's, you know, there. I, I remember a time. I got to be careful in saying this. There was there was an, uh, uh, you know, there's a bad there's a bad JSOC strike um, uh, in the Middle East, and and a lot of kind of recriminations. But you know what? We managed through this because we all knew each other, and 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 we kind of we got through it because there's personal relationships that have been formed. And so, um, you know, it's it's two organizations. You know, whether you say Delta, you know, when I say Delta, it's the same thing as SEAL Team 6 or, you know, or the race. It's basically JSOC altogether, whether it's the Rangers or, you know, First Recon Marines or whatever. It's, but, you know, we've, we've kind of grown up together and, and, and we're kind of attached at the hip. Um, and the fact of the matter is they, they, you know, we work very well together. And, you know, these are my kind of brothers and sisters in arms. And I'll, I will always think of them in, in, in that fashion. Did, uh, did, I'm just curious, did you ever run into like conflicts because you have an uh, organization like JSOC that normally works um, sort of tactical ground game? That's a broad generalization I'm making, but uh, an organization that deals on the tactical level, whereas uh, the CIA traditionally is working to collect strategic intelligence. Um, does that ever conflict with one another? You know, I, I think that, you know, for me, the answer is no, um, you know, because ultimately, so, you know, because our, our coordination or our time on the ground together with JSOC is going to be more in a tactical environment. Um, you know, I, I think what's really interesting and, 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 you know, maybe we pivot to this now is, so, you know, so where, where do JSOC and the CIA move now into a more strategic uh, uh, situation, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I, mm-hmm. you know I, I, was, I was corrected the other day, I was calling it the near peer environment. 
Um, but this is when we're talking about how do JSTOC and the CIA work together uh, to, to you know, against China and Russia, frankly, um, which we call near peer or, or there's been a different name change. And so, you know, that that to me is really interesting. Um, uh, but, you know, the way and, and, I, and I've written quite a lot about this, because ultimately, I think that, you know, the U.S. government got really good at manhunting. You know, so yep. there, there's no better organization in the world. And it's the intelligence community, the CIA combined with, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the JSOC elements where we can, um, you know, ultimately put on the X just about anybody around the world. It's not a question of, of if we can do it, it's should we can do it. You know, should, I'm sorry, should we do it? And I, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, there's, there's so many examples. The Soleimani strike is a perfect example of, you know, um, our, our ability to do this. And so, uh, but now what do we do when it comes to Russian intelligence officers, Chinese intelligence officers, you know, uh, Chinese uh, or Russian, you know, malign influence, covert, covert influence um, uh, efforts. And I think that it's, it's a really interesting subject to talk about how the CIA and JSOC kind of partner together um, against that. And, and, I, and I know both of you have commented in social media and Twitter, um, you know, one way or the other on this. Um, but, yeah. you know, that's, it, it, that, that's the new that's the new game right now. I recommend direct energy weapons personally. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm right with you, Dave. I'll, yeah. I'll be there. But how 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 do, how do you see that, Mark? How do you see the the J, um, both JSOC and the CIA and that liaison relationship um, shifting gears to go from counterterrorism, you know, hunting down bad guys, catching them in their beds, to now going and, and fucking with some powerful countries, um, you know, the global powers, yeah, like it or not, Cold Wars almost, yeah. You know. Right, right. So, so here's what I kind of espoused before I retired in July of 19, and I, and I wrote about recently, and and I think it, you know, I, you know, in some of my columns, and it got a lot of positive feedback, um, and then some some blowback too. But but ultimately, okay, if we're really good at manhunting, you know, and this is this has to do with you know, uh, you know, obviously Al Qaeda, the Taliban, Hezbollah, you know, you name it. What do we want to do in kind of more established countries? Okay, let's say it's Europe. Well, we want to we want to find out. We want to track the activities of the Russian GRU and SVR officers or the Chinese MSS officers. And so can, you know, the agency in partnering with JSTOC do that? So it's going to be a little different. So we're not doing it to put them on the X, but, but, but I see no reason. I see no reason why we can't ask our JSOC, you know, brothers and sisters if they're trained correctly. And it, it has a lot to do with training, but can we put them on the street to help us develop what I, what I call, you know, what we call pattern of life? Um, you know, ultimately to, to determine what a Russian GRU or, or Chinese MSS officer is doing in XYZ country. And that's really important because either we're going to try to kind of shut them down uh, operationally or maybe we're going to try a recruitment pitch. Right. Why not use those capabilities that we've developed with JSOC because they know how to do this. Um, and that was kind of my pitch when I was in government. And it's, what's, it's been, you know, kind of what I espoused afterwards. Now, there's a lot more that, that you know, that goes that, that, that you know, JSOC has to do. But I think in, in this niche, I think they can really help. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it, it, they're going to look a little different. So I, I remember going to kind of units in JSOC that do this. And I'm like, okay, the white guy with tattoos, you know, on their arms. Is that you, Dave, right there? Or, or Jack? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I can't use you right now. Right. But you know what? But there are JSOC elements that do have, you know, people with different ethnic backgrounds. There's female officers. And so can we use you for manhunting? Uh, you know, on the street to find out the pattern of life of a hostile intelligence officer. And, and I would argue that you can. Now, the mindset is going to be a little different for JSOC. And I would always caution my JSOC colleagues, like, okay, 
everyone loves Zero Dark Thirty. Like you guys killed Bin Laden. You guys are rock stars. Guess what? You might actually never know what happens. So you're going to have to have that maturity to say, okay, we've given the CIA a target package. We followed this Russian intelligence officer for 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 six weeks in XYZ country. Off to you. Right. Guess what? Is right. the CIA for compartmentation reasons? We might not tell you. Right. Um, and you have to have the maturity. And 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 so you know that's that's kind of my paradigm on this. I think it can be done. I hope I, it's being done right now. Outside of just even like the. Uh, ethnic considerations or, or skin color consideration, I think one of the other challenges you run in with JSOC uh, with any elements is you put three or four JSOC operators, doesn't matter what their color is, particularly males, on the street, you've got three yoked dudes walking around <laughs> that, you know what I mean, that draw yeah. attention, yeah. you know. Um, and that's, I think that's what he's saying, like those yoked dudes that have like the nautical star tattoo on the neck, like well, they're even, not going to be yeah, but yeah, even yeah. without the tattoos, I, I mean, yeah. you know, it's not often that you see people at that level of fitness out in public in general. But then you see three or four of yeah, them, yeah, yeah. and it's like, it's a what is was today like National Fitness Day or like what, <laughs> what's going on? Is it you know? Yeah, uh, no, but 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 so so you so you know then you need you know selection has to maybe change a bit. Right on some of these units. How or, many Oreos can or, you, or, or you can wear disguise, or you you know look there there are ways you can, right. you can kind of you know you know you know you know, like maybe you're not wearing your uh, you know your Oakleys and your five hundred one cargo pants. Yeah, I, I was um, or and your uh, your Solomon Solomon uh, sneakers, which is the fucking exact profile of every JSOC person I've ever met. You know? all, right. <laughs> all right, listen, 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 Mark. I resemble some of these comments. Uh, <laughs> You were in Solomon's right now. Yes, you are. Yeah, uh, Merrill's actually. Uh, Merrill, same thing, right? Yeah. Well, I, I was watching a hearing not so long ago where uh, General Nagata, um, who he served in a, a special mission unit, served in the special operations community. He's retired now. Uh, he was saying that this is this is absolutely true. However, we also want to maintain our counterterrorism capabilities because ah, yep. as we saw during the uh, years of the Soviet Union and, and even to today, we're also going to see state-sponsored terrorism that we, as we try to confront Russia and China, these possibly, it's a possibility, they may wage war beneath the nuclear threshold by sponsoring terrorist organizations. Yeah. yeah. So that's right. And I think that, you know, so we, we can't take our eye off the ball. Like, there's so much on our plate. We have Russian malign influence. China is clearly the existential threat. I think one of the most interesting things is that between the Trump administration and the Biden administration, there's actually agreement yeah. that China is the core threat of our time. Yeah, 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 it is. Um, but we can't take our eye off the CT ball, you know. And, and so, you know, this is this was my bailiwick for, for most of my career was counterterrorism. It's what I love. Uh, but you're right. So, so I, you know, you worry that you, you don't want those, you know, the, the, you know that that critical capability to atrophy in any way. Right. So you still have to have those those units that 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 do that. And, and you know maybe it's a good time to kind of jump into kind of the the discussion on the Afghan withdrawal. And, and yeah, you know that's one of the things that I'm I'm actually really concerned about because ultimately I, I I just personally I don't see the reason why we had to go to zero there. You know not not having a residual force of about twenty five hundred where you still can have CIA intelligence assets and you know organiz you know uh, officers on the ground. And a residual kind of CT force, um, you know, I, I think that we've taken that critical element of humans uh, away by with a full withdrawal, and 
And I'll tell you, I think we're gonna we're gonna see some really grim, uh, you know, grim, grim, uh, 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 you know, videos, grim, grim stuff on TV about the collapse of Afghanistan. It's gonna be really hard yeah. for a lot of us um, uh, because, look, twenty five hundred to me, and, and this is nothing. This is not something that should be even up for debate. I don't understand why we have to go down to to, to zero. So you think there should be like a residual counterterrorism force left behind in the country? Absolutely. Sure, sure. And, and so that, that would include, you know, agency officers and paramilitary officers and also JSOC, um, 100%. Uh, you know, if you if you look at it, you know, we have no other allies in the region. If you think, you know, I always talked about Pakistan as the ally from hell. You know, I, I sat on eastern Afghanistan and, and kind of fought against the Taliban and al-Qaeda aided by elements of the Pakistani military. Um, you know, Pakistan is not our friend. If you think the stands, you know, uh, you know, all, all kind of this, the, the, the old Russian satellites, which are their own countries now. But if you think that, you know, Vladimir Putin is not going to put pressure on them to say no to kind of U.S. basing, um, you know, maybe we can fly, fly, you know, you know, kind of MQ-9s from from, you know, from the Gulf states. And I think that's one of the plans that I've seen in the press. But ultimately, you know, uh, uh, you know, a full pull out of, out of Afghanistan is it's just. For me and a lot of people, you know, in in, in kind of my world, uh, you know, uh, uh, at the CIA, it just it just doesn't make sense because we're not talking about fifty thousand or hundred thousand troops. We're talking about a tiny residual force. You know, it's it's the concept of defend forward. Like, and I don't under and and it, you can actually say we've withdrawn from Afghanistan and it's over, and still have that force of twenty five hundred there or whatever it is to keep some assets in place, and so. I, I just I don't understand it. I, I was very upset when President Trump advocated this, and um, I'm even more upset that uh, that Biden has uh, has jumped onto it. And then and then you see press reports now where Secretary of Defense and others or or you know they say you know we're we're thinking about options on um uh, uh you know on, on how to do kind of over over the horizon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's stuff that should have been pre cooked already, like right. years ago. So. It's so crazy. Like, you, we're we're way ahead of the, the you know what do you say you're pushing the cart above the horse here or whatever I'm getting that analogy wrong. So you're not really looking at maintaining forces in Afghanistan necessarily for like maintaining a stable Afghanistan Routine or ops. continuing the war on Afghanistan, but more of a a satellite or a platform in that region because we don't have other platforms in that. Is and, that and, right? And, it, 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 that's exactly right. And because, the, you know, again, I, I go back to the paper I wrote when I first came on as an analyst in 1993. And if I have any credibility, it's going back to there, which, you know, which talked about the Afghan Arabs. And, and, and but but the whole point was we abandoned Afghanistan uh -huh. after after we defeated the Soviet, you know, the Soviets there and, and empty spaces and ungoverned spaces, which is about to happen there um uh, is is a breeding ground for terrorism and so uh, i don't i don't think what i'm advocating is anything radical and and look i believe we should not be fighting in afghanistan anymore but that doesn't mean we can't have a small residual force and and so you know i have a lot of friends who i i think in the intelligence community who really feel strongly about this in the same way um because what i think you're going to see is you know is is scenes of you know what we saw you know in saigon with you know, with with embassy evacuations. I mean, I don't fundamentally understand how the U.S. embassy in Kabul or any Western embassy, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, will will remain there. I, I just don't see it. I think you're going to see some some pretty gruesome images, and and I don't understand why the Biden administration, who was really critical of that Trump, you know, kind of decision to just get out. Yeah, yeah. Why we couldn't have left just a small force there? I don't get it. Or you know, the, the United States has a policy historically of, of what I call defend forward. 
Um, that's putting putting U.S. troops forward. It doesn't mean a hundred thousand U.S. troops. You know, let's you know, and so, but but it certainly doesn't mean you know. It certainly shouldn't be you know down to zero. I, I, so I don't get this. Would they continue combat combat ops in Afghanistan, or are they more there? Like I, I'm just trying to. Grass, you continue. So it's a it, you know there there's obviously the CT elements that are there, but certainly you can aid the Afghan government in pushing back against the Taliban, um, and you know and, but you have to be on the ground there. Yeah, um, there's no way we do this, you know, uh, especially if the embassy collapses, and it's going to. There, there's no doubt in my mind that that we're going to see. I, um, you know, the, the, the you know, you know, some some pretty gruesome images of our of our uh, withdrawal from the embassy. I, I mean, in, in my opinion, for whatever that may or may not be worth, I, I think that. But before all is said and done, that we'll see something like that—a battalion-sized element left behind in Afghanistan. I, I think that they're they're gonna our government will cave at some point. Maybe I'm it wrong. To, right? Maybe I mean, I'm wrong. But Jack, no, Jack. I mean, like because it just. It doesn't make sense in any of in any way not to have and, that. And when 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 the television images come, where we're back to uh, or not us, but the Taliban is back to uh, cutting women's throats in soccer stadiums. Right. There's going to be a certain pushback to that, in my opinion. Yeah, and so, so I, just, I I don't understand this, and you know, it seems to be there's there's almost sometimes a knee jerk reaction that we have to go to zero, but I don't think what people understand what zero really means. Um, and then, you know, and look, and then, you know, I, so I, I was, you know, I was, I, I did my book signings yet. I did my book launch the other day, which was, you know, at, you know, you do this at an indie, you know, you, Jack, you might remember this you, you, at your, at your local bookstore and your friends and family come and a whole bunch of my teammates from Afghanistan came. That's so cool. cool. I hadn't seen them for years. This was freaking awesome. Um, and, and in fact, one, you know, talking about my leadership book, I'm going to give another plug here. One of my, one of my guys from Afghanistan came and told my son. There you go. And he goes, say, hey, Mark was the best leader we ever had. And of course, I was busy signing books and I missed it. And what, what an idiot. And I, I wrote him a note later on. Um, but one of the things that every single one of my teammates talked about was our, the, kind of the Afghan indage and the interpreters. And kind of and, and the, like, the, the utter horror that we were kind of all feeling about this. And I'll tell you something. As a CIA operations officer, I learned Arabic, but you know what? I didn't know Dari or Pashto, and I had a, I had a Turk with me every time I went in, went in for any agent meeting. Um, you know, every time we we kind of rolled outside the wire, and every you know I, I had to kind of try to you know I had to try to play badass and, and roll out with the ground branch guys. And so when I went out on patrols with them, we had Afghan Turks with us. Um, the fact that these guys might be in peril like yeah, that causes me scary. to lose at night. Like that's horrible. Um, and so so you know that that's a. I, I'm, I'm really worried what we're going to see in the next couple, you know, kind of weeks and months. Uh, Mitch says, uh, I arrived late, so I may have missed it. Is Mark talking about the kind of thing like the uh, Havana syndrome? Yeah, that's that's what he's talking about. If you go back, you'll, you'll see it. Uh, Jim B says, can Mark touch on the career progression issues that headquarters-based officers may face within the Directorate of Operations? Thank you. I enjoyed the book. Oh, well, first, thanks. Thank you that you enjoyed the book. That, that makes me happy. And so, Look, so you know the, the the one of the things that I talk about in the book. So so first of all, there's all different kinds of CIA officers. So obviously you have field operations officers, you can have paramilitary officers, and there's a, there's a there's a ton of officers who who stay back at headquarters, and there's nothing wrong with that, and you do that for a variety of reasons. Um, but one of my principles in the book is called the glue guy, and I can say the glue guy, glue gal as well. But but my principle, the glue guy, is you know there are always indispensable members of the team 
um, and even a high-performing kind of elite team that are going to be in the shadows, that are going to be in the background. And as a leader, you really have to take care of them. And so, you know, so, so whether, you know, let's say we take, you know, the CIA conducts an operation, if we kill bin Laden or we capture an HVT or anything like that, always those on the front, you know, the tip of the spear are going to be rewarded. But, but as a leader, you have to kind of sit back and always say, okay, who else, you know, participated in this? And, and so, you know, that, that's one of the things that I learned, you know, uh, and so what, you know, what I, what I would always talk about, you know, our, our, our headquarters operations, our headquarters officers supporting operations or the analysts or anyone else, like it's, this is, this is a team sport um, in a huge way and everybody has to be rewarded. And, 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 I, and I'll give you kind of a really silly example. So we're in, we're in uh, Eastern Afghanistan. We run an operation. We actually put a Taliban uh, member on the X and they are no longer with us. I call an all hands meeting in our skiff, you know, in our, in our secure facility. I'm like, you know what, you know, fuck this. We're going after the fire pit and I get our cooks. Well, our cook was from Macedonia. I don't even fucking know his name, but I know he's, he, he cooks good food. I'm like, get the cook, get the support guy, get all these people out here, you know, uh, you know, who, and, and we're going to all come together. And I sat there and I told him what we had done and people you know, like, and I remember my deputies like, Hey man, like they're not clear for that. I'm like, I don't care. We just took a bad guy off the battlefield. And that cook is the reason why the GB guys could go out on patrol. That cook is why you're not kind of shitting in the corner. Right. We're in Eastern Afghanistan. And so everybody has to be celebrated. Um, and so that's that's kind of a key principle of mine. So, you know, look, the, you know, the CIA is a forward-leaning organization. We are an overseas organization, but our headquarters personnel, and they're not necessarily support personnel. They could be analysts. They could be targeters. They're just as important. So you kind of have to celebrate them all the time. Um, and that's one of the leadership principles that I, you know, it, it took me a while to get to, but I, I really celebrated at, you know, at the end of my career. Uh, Jake has kind of a very specific question here. He says, hi, Mark, uh, I'm an Arabian Peninsula analyst and I'm having a hard time being an effective analyst. There isn't much going on in the area. What can I do? <laughs> I don't even know. How, I mean, I don't know. You have, uh, if you're in the Arabian Peninsula, you have Yemen, which is kind of a mess. You have, uh, Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia, who likes to kill American journalists um, and is probably bipolar and a little psychotic. I don't know. It's, it seems to me uh, there's, there's a, lot. a lot going on. There's there. a lot going on. I mean, yeah, starts- no, I mean, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the Arabian, to me, it was, it was really interesting. Um, I served in, in that area of the world at one point. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a region which is, which is fascinating because for a long time it was not as important. But then under the Trump administration, clearly they pivoted towards that. And Trump had this fascination with the Saudi, with, with obviously with Saudi. You know, Jared Kushner spent a lot of time going there. Um, but ultimately, if you look at the Arabian Peninsula, there is one country there that is kind of a success, a success story, and that's the UAE. The United Arab Emirates is. I don't, I don't know if either of you guys have, have, have been there, but it's pretty extreme. You, know, you go to Dubai. Yeah, You're yeah. kind of taken aback at what they've done, um, and so uh, so it, it's a pretty amazing place. And and then you know right in front of them is their, the threat of Iran. So right. I don't know. I think a, a lot's going on. A lot's going yeah. on in the, in the Gulf. And, you you uh, you've got a shooting war going on in Yemen. You right. got uh, Oman there, and some stuff going just beneath the surface. If you scratch yeah. hard enough, there's smuggling going on across the Gulf of Aden. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on. In, in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Andrew says, how does Mark feel about John Kiriakou hosting a gig with Radio Sputnik? Yeah, so I don't like that. That's not good. So I'm, I'm going to be honest. And so, 
you know, so I, I don't know if John is, uh, you know, is, is, is you know, kind of needs employment or not, but, but, and, and I'll say this and I'm not, I'm not going to denigrate another, you know, former agency officer. I will say though, that, you know, there, there are, uh, you know, media outlets, which are obviously sponsored and controlled by the Russian government, whether it's Russia today, RT or Sputnik. Um, and to me, those are arms of the Russian government. And so I'm not a really big fan of, of them. They are dissemination mechanisms for Russian propaganda. Uh, it's pretty obvious. And so I'm not, yeah. I'm not a giant fan. I, I would not, if they asked me to come on and, I, and trust me, if I, I I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to sell my book all over the place. I'll go on left wing radio, right wing radio. I don't care. I'm not going on. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm with you, Mark. And th this is getting a little bit down in the weeds. Um, but yeah. I, I'll, I've noticed a phenomena where we have American citizens who are U.S. government employees. They get into some kind of trouble. Maybe they become whistleblowers. Maybe they get in trouble with Department of Justice. They do some time. Maybe they don't. But they become, for one reason or another, ostracized, and they, it seems like they end up running into the hands of the likes of RT and Sputnik and some, yeah. of, the, the, some of the Iranian press, um, like press TV. Right. Do you, how do you think we should handle that? Do, do you think that even the guys who get into trouble, that there should be some sort of reconciliation process to bring them back into the fold so that they don't run off to oh, these foreign Jack, press? Jack, I, I love this question. And, and I'll tell you something. And, 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 I'll, and I'll tell you why I love this. And it's, it's actually something I, I will admit to you that I have actually discussed with our director, with Bill Burns, um, because I think there is a really bad tendency of, of agency officers, you know, when they retire, um, you know, to, to, you know, you know, either sometimes they're disgruntled um, or something's happened to them, but something goes wrong. It doesn't happen in the U.S. military like this, but it's for some reason it happens at the agency, and so there's got to be a better way that we kind of embrace the formers. That's what you know. That's what that's what kind of. I mean, it could. Essence, everyone is called it are, are the formers, and so you know, you know that the the worst thing possible is for them to do what you just right uh, you know, what you just talked about. So there's got to be a way to embrace them more. Um, for some reason, when people leave the agency, so many people, even at the senior levels. Are unhappy and that there's something wrong with that and uh and we, we kind of got to get to the bottom of that and we have to kind of bring them back into the fold embrace them more look i look for you know for a long time after i went public i was ostracized um people did not like the fact that i went public begging for health care um but you know i think director burns has been really smart about this and kind of brought me back into the fold as have others and so uh you know there's 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 no there's nothing good that happens in talking to an rt or a sputnik ever right. period Right. That, that, you know, that's, in that, and, and, you know, in, 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 in the times where, you know, uh, I, you know, I was fighting with the agency for healthcare, that never even crossed my mind in a right. second. Um, that to me is going to the enemy, period. Yeah. I, 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 I agree with you. I also yeah. think that one, I mean, if people are looking for employment or money and these other, like, those are the only outlets that they think they can get, but some people, that's what they might choose. And with the with with it being more like intelligence people than military, it could be that those people are just more valued yeah. by the by those agencies, have more opportunities with those agencies than say, you know, somebody from the military would. You know, because right. there's a there's a mystique, obviously. I mean, I, I can tell you I've 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 definitely gotten invited on RT many times, invited on press TV, all, all those outlets before. Yeah. And 
thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I mean, it's like working for the enemy, but um, I mean, I'm. No, no, if you wanted to go on there and, and tell them that, you know, that Vladimir Putin is, uh, you know, is it's a, a dick. Individual, you know, and, 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 you know, look, look, I think that, that it, it cannot be an outlet. You know, it, it can't be the last resort for people. And yeah. so, you know, for, simply for a counterintelligence perspective, if right. you go to a place like Sputnik or RT, that is, a, to me, that's an organ of Russian intelligence. Right. Um, and, and that's that's a place you don't want to be. Right. Yeah, just yeah. this period. So It's and, also part of the overall propaganda battle, right? I mean, it's right. it's not yeah. just intelligence, but it's also, hey, look, RT has this four yeah, other yeah. CIA and, officer. And they they want to have, um, and then I know other reporters, too, who have been, you know, invited on there. They want to have someone like me on there because I sometimes write and I say things that are critical of the United States government, but that comes from a place of, I just want us to be better. I, I'm not sure as hell not involved in going over to the other right. side and right. trying to. No, 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 Jack, you're 100 percent right. Yeah. I mean, so, so it's so funny you say that because that is the essence of being an American, of being a demo, uh, of, of, of being a you know existing in a democracy, of being a patriot. Of course, you can criticize your government. You have a First Amendment right to do so. Right. I mean, that's 100 percent you know you know you know uh, uh, accepted and accurate, and but not with RT. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm with you, man. Okay. Kevin, your uh, idea about sort of bringing them back into the fold, or you know, yeah, 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 like that. I think that is a very, it's important because once people do feel ostracized, it it's difficult for us to do. But yeah, it just my in my opinion, uh, having seen what some of these guys go through, I don't agree with a lot of what they've done. But I also think that it's maybe a mistake to just leave them in the wind. Yeah, I agree with you 100. percent No, you're right. And so as I think we have to look back and say, okay, how have they gotten to that place? Yeah. 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 Right? yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and, and like, I mean, you know, John, you know, we're talking about John, you know, so, so again, it's, uh, it, you know, so why did he feel that it was necessary to go talk to them? Right. 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 Um, you know, when, when you have, I mean, I, I remember I, I was curious about this because I looked and, you know, there's, I don't know if I'm going to get the, the, the news organization wrong, but it was, it was a San Francisco paper, San Francisco Chronicle or something like that saying, you know, what a patriot he was. Um, to speak out against torture, like there are organizations in the United States that should be able to, uh, you know, embrace him. Um, but to go to to what I consider is the enemy, right, the right, right. You know, so. uh, KT asks for those who are unaware, please ask Mark about the history of Soviet international terrorism, starting with its inventor, KGB General Alexander Sakharovsky. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> do, you, do you know anything about that, Mark? I don't know. <laughs> Well, okay, so so I think that probably the best way to answer this is, um, you know, if you go back to kind of the classical terrorist groups of the 1970s, um, you know, the Soviet Union certainly sponsored them, mm -hmm. whether it was the, you know, PFLP-GC or the PFLP. Mm -hmm. uh, With like Wa Wadia Haddad and, and Abu Nadal. The Nadal organization, right? Yeah. So there was always a Soviet sponsor and, and or, or, or an East German sponsor. And so... Look, this was, you know, one, one of the, you know, the, the one book that I love, and it's it's gonna, you know, it's gonna cause, you know, people to probably gonna fall asleep at night. Um, but it's called the Matrokin Archives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and it's 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 a book that you know ultimately it's it's a it's a it's a a Soviet intelligence officer who defected to the Brits and brought a whole bunch of stuff with them, and they wrote a book about it. Um, but it's 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 actually it's super interesting because. It details so much of what the Soviet Union did in terms of, you know, their efforts against the United States, against the West, but also in the, kind of in the, in the CT realm. And so 
look, at the end of the day, that you know, the Soviet Union was sponsoring um, international terrorist movements, um, particularly, you know, the Palestinian movements. And so, you know, there's there's a there's kind of a long history of that. It's you know, it's it's a uh, it's documented. It's not a surprise to anybody. It was it was part of their kind of their great struggle against the West. Uh, Alex asks. Oh, this is pretty specific too. Mark, can you please explain the capabilities of the CIA's maritime branch? Are they more like aquatic listening outposts or SEAL teams? Jeez. Oh, I don't even know how to answer that. Um, uh, you know, probably probably better to pass on that. I mean, when, when you start getting into specifics, yeah, of, I, I, know, I, branch or maritime branch, it's probably better to, to pass. Um, you know, we, we have maritime capabilities. Just leave it at that. I, I will. Uh, take the time to just plug something I wrote that may answer a bit of his question. Um, I know what what you're going to write. I I know what you're going to say right now as well. There's a, there's an article um, that I, uh, I wrote that was published by Yahoo. The title is the CIA sent a team of four four operators on a spy mission targeting China and none came back. Um, If you go and read that article, it'll give you the gist of it. Um, And that's a heartbreaking article. it, It is. It's, it's, it's fucking tragic, honestly, what, what happened to those four guys. Um, yep. Andrew says, is, <laughs> I, I think his, the name is spelt wrong. I think, he, I think he means Michael Schuler. Is he as crazy as he sounds? He's talking about Mike Scheuer. So, Scheuer. So I know what he's talking about. So, so Mike Scheuer was a former agency analyst who then uh, was one of, the, one of the, uh, the bosses of what we call Alex Station. And this was pre 9 11, in which it was a it was a unit, you know, mainly an analytic unit that was tracking uh, Osama bin Laden uh, and, and Al Qaeda. And and one of the things, kind of the sad things, is that Mike Scheuer over the years kind of has has kind of degenerated a little bit, and so he's turned into a QAnon guy. Yeah, um, you know, he was someone I, I knew him as an agency officer. He was a very good agency officer. He was a great analyst on 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 Afghanistan, kind of in the nineteen nineties. Um, you know, he was, was one of the first chiefs of Alex Station. Again, this was the unit that was designed to track uh, uh, UBL and Al Qaeda, but something went wrong. Um, and so he's he's a kind of a full bore QAnon conspiracy theorist now. And you know, what do you say? How how, how do you think that happens, Mark? And I, I've witnessed it also with some special yeah. oper some special operations guys. I mean, you're talking about the, in, in the case of Michael. A highly intelligent, high-performing individual. How do you think they go down that rabbit hole? I don't know. You know, so you know, it's it's uh, this. It, look, I think this is a sad case. Um, you know, I, I don't like talking about it all that much because it's someone who uh, who I you know I liked and I thought was really brilliant for a long time, and now is truly you know kind of gone, gone off the wall. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I think look, I live in Northern Virginia. Um, it's, it's a, it's a suburb that has, you know, it's, it, it can, you can, you, you know, you might think it's pretty progressive, but I have a lot of friends who are kind of Trump supporters and I have some friends who are kind of, kind of the kooky QAnon folks. Um, it's hard to deal with people like that. I don't yeah. know. These are people who I really like. Um, you know, I, I have friends who are at, you know, at the Capitol on January 6th and it's really hard, um, for me to deal with them. Uh, but, but, you know, you kind of, you know, get, making that switch, you know, I, I don't know, I, your guess is as good as mine, how, how you kind of go down that rabbit yeah, hole, because yeah. these were really great Americans, they're friends of mine. 
um, and and took it took a turn for the worse. And you know, it's it's look, I have I have no problem if someone is out, you know, you know, you know, talking about their First Amendment rights, they can they can do anything they want. But you know, kind of the the assault on the Capitol. I, I have friends who who kind of uh, you know were involved in that, and that's that's been very difficult for me to deal with. Yeah, you got to draw the line somewhere, and and likewise, yeah, it's super painful. And I, I mean, I've mentioned it before. Um, someone who is my direct superior in special forces was at the Capitol that day. Yeah. Uh, it, it's painful. It's really painful. I don't know how you come back from that, you know. And and in fact, you know, not I'm not going to get into names, but like I have not talked to like so. You know, I, I remember seeing a video, and I was like, oh my god, he's there, and I've not talked to him since then. Um, I don't know if I can. Uh, you know, that to me was kind of, a, you know, a bridge too far. Not to say that, look, half my friends are Republicans, half my friends are Trump voters. That's fine. This is going, <laughs> this is going way, but be, way beyond. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know, like I, I live in Washington, like, you know, there's Republicans and Democrats everywhere. And, um, uh, and I, I mean, for God's sakes, I write, you know, I, I've decided to write a column for a conservative newspaper, even though that's not really my political bent. That's fine to me. Um, but, but those who've kind of taken that step a little darker and deeper. I don't know. That's uh, that's hard. I, I, I don't know how to how to deal with that. Frankly, I'll, I'll look to you all for advice too, because you know, I, I have friends who were at the Capitol. I've not talked to them since. I'm I'm still working on it myself, Mark. I'm, yeah. I'm afraid to say. I mean, I'm I'm kind of in the corner where I don't think that there was. I mean, I I think people's right to protest. People's right to protest. Like I don't think everybody that was at the Capitol is guilty of some grand treason thing. Right. I think the people who broke in, the handful of people that broke in, right. you know, were, you know, going above and beyond. Um, you know, but, like, I don't look at everybody who is there as having committed some great crime any more than people protesting outside the White House. The people no, I'm who, talking about people who, who kind of broke in. Well, that's, I, and that's I, what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. I mean... I don't know, you know, and and it's weird, you know. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel about it because, you know, first off, I'm not the protesting type of person for for anything really. <laughs> I think I'm too lazy, so I can't even put myself in the shoes of being out someplace <laughs> right, like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't know. You know, I, I just, I don't know. Um, no, you know, actually, I, I like this conversation two hours into it because everyone's had a couple of drinks. Yeah. Um, no, no, but, 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 but to me, this is actually really important because, and, and, and it's important because those of us in our world, in our, you know, and this is, you know, your, 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 your viewership or listenership, um, whether it's, you know, Intel or Spec Ops or, or you know, or, or regular military or whatever, like, this is our world right now. And I right. think everybody's struggling with this. Um, I have great friends, you know, in the community who I think have, have kind of gone astray. Um, and, and frankly, I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, and these are people who, you know, were great Americans, great patriots. I, you know, I, I might've served with, um, but boy, it's tough. I, and, I, uh, you know. I also have to say though, that like that, that I'm a little perturbed. I I 100% do not agree with what happened at the Capitol. I 100% believe that anybody who committed a crime needs to be arrested for that crime, that that we have rights under the Constitution, we have the right to peacefully assemble, all these things, and anybody who committed a crime needs to be arrested for that crime. But I'm also somewhat perturbed that nobody at all talks about 
the 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 same thing happening at the White House with like 60 Secret Service agents and officers being injured, one of the guard shacks being burnt down, the the gates being you know breached. Like, but it's it, not accurate because lots of people have thought. I think about I it. think you froze. Uh, a lot of uh, yeah, it looks like Mark's uh, yeah. Give us one second. Internet guys. Sorry connection about that. may have dumped, but I mean, lots of people have talked about it, and if you go through the. Um, arrest records for Washington D.C. There were like hundreds and hundreds. But, but of we don't there. mention them in the same breath. Why don't we mention that? I mean, there aren't know. they Why the same you? thing? You're mentioning it right now. I mean, I am. But but aren't aren't but aren't we aren't we talking about the same thing? We are talking about U.S. citizens. I mean, uh, attacking government bills. And I really want Mark to be in on this. Um, yeah, he's going to have to. Sorry, uh, guys. Uh, hey, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to our channel. Um, hit the little bell icon to get your notifications. Also, check on our Patreon. We have a new level on Patreon now, don't we? Yeah, we're doing a couple bonus episodes a month for uh, people who are supporting us on Patreon. And there's also a link in the description for uh, the merch. There's t-shirts and there's coffee mugs. And what else do we got going on? Oh, we have our Instagram uh, at the dot team house or dot team dot house. Yep, it's all down in the description. Yep. Um, but yeah, on our Patreon, uh, you know, we have our normal $1 support, which will get you all of our bonus content, or we uh, talk to our guests about, you know, uh, things that maybe, uh, you know, funny stories, body stories, you know, just random things that maybe they didn't get a chance to tell or they didn't want to talk about. And now we have the new $5 level which uh, of support, which is another uh, two meetings of just... Uh, Jack and I shooting the shit, and D actually joining us. Um, so you know, and uh, put Pete, some brothers up. Peter says, uh, Jack, can you get two GWAT experienced guys to debate both sides of the full pullout versus residual force in Afghanistan? That's uh, not a not at all a bad show idea. Um, something we can think about. Yeah. So I don't know what happened to Mark. Unfortunately, we've never really had a. Uh, um, the internet, the plug pulled like that before. Um, so we're kind of like, uh, but we were coming, kind of starting to come to the natural end of the show. So, uh, maybe we can end it here and try to get Mark back to do the bonus segment in a moment. And, uh, no, I'm sorry guys that we lost Mark. Uh, hopefully, uh, the, did the Russians get him? I don't know. Is there, is there the SWAT team come and hit his house and they balled him up and they're carrying him off right now? We don't know. <laughs> Oh, there he there is. Hey, Mark, how you doing, man? Uh, we I don't see know what happened there. We see your tech support just left. What just happened? We we were we were wondering if the Russians came and got you, or I if know. or, or maybe the Department of Justice blew in your door and they were hauling you off. I just said I I got I don't know my my everything went crazy and I, we synced in with my uh, my iPhone so sorry about that. Okay, no, no okay. thank you, Mark. Yeah, I, no, I, no. I appreciate you uh, coming back. Yeah. Um. I think we're kind of coming towards the natural conclusion of the show. Um, Mark, if we could do the bonus segment with you for a few minutes, that'd be really cool. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, Mark, I, I was just yeah, I, go ahead. I, I was just going to ask you, because one of the things that perturbs me about talking about the Capitol, and again, I am not advocating anything that happened. I, I believe you commit a crime, you get charged with the crime. But what perturbs me about it is that people do not, do not talk about what happened in the Capitol and what talked about the White House. You know, to you know, like sixty Secret Service agents and officers getting injured, a guard shack getting burned down, the gates getting breached. 
they don't talk about those things in the same breath. Like it, it, the people pretend as though the, white, the whole you know thing at the White House never happened. And I think to be fair, we we just have to say people are out of control right with this stuff. That that's me though. Well, you know, I don't know. It's I, I think that I think that there's a there's kind of an inability to have any kind of conversation in this country right now, and I think that. You know, just in my view, like the the you know, I, I think there should be some kind of commission that, that kind of looks at what happened on on January sixth because it's 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 you know it's a pretty dark day in our country. I I, I don't particularly care how they do it, but there's got to be something. And and, and you know, the fact that we are unable to kind of come to a agreement between you know the, the you know Republicans and Democrats to, to actually kind of you know go forward and, and take a take a hard look at what happened. And it's not 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 about the security failures of the Capitol Police. That's that's silly. It's got to be kind of on, on inherently what happened there. I think that's right, really right. important. So, you know, it's a, it's a, that's the times we live in. You know, we'll see. Yeah. So, hey, everybody. I mean, check out Mark's book, uh, Clarity in Crisis. Uh, yeah. Great leadership, but, but also, I mean, just great to see the insights of somebody who's been there and done that and led yeah, in all different kinds of environments. And um, I, I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. And uh, go ch- if you liked it, go check out episode 67, the last episode we did with Mark. Yeah. Um, gets into a lot of his, you know, kind of boots on the ground experiences. The career and, yeah. Talking I'll, I'll, about the Chapman bombing, doing HVT hits uh, with SEAL Team 6 in Iraq. Um, some really interesting stuff in there. And, and let me, let me like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw you guys another loop. Let me tell okay. you a really quick story. Do yeah, it. Yep. Okay, so... One of the really cool things I did last week, or maybe 10 days ago, so, you know, one of the GRS officers, one of our security officers who was killed there, Jeremy Weiss, his brother is a guy by the name of Bo Weiss. Bo Weiss was a Marine, and he was deployed in Afghanistan during the time of, of, of Jeremy's death. And so him and, him and an author, uh, a local author here in Vienna, by the name of Tom Saleh, wrote a book, and it's called The Three Weiss Men, because ultimately, it's an amazing story. So, so Bo Weiss, who was a Marine, his two older brothers, Jeremy, who worked for us in CIA, and his older brother, Ben, who's a special forces uh, 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 operator, both of them were killed in action. And so it's extraordinary. He, this guy is a double gold star brother. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Um, and so, so, you know, a couple, a couple months ago, Tom Saleo reached out to me and said, hey, you know, this guy, it, it was my friend Bo, who I'm writing a book with wants to come see his brother Jeremy's star on the wall at CIA headquarters. And so I arranged the whole thing. I called into the office. I talked to the director, Bill Burns, um, and, and we got him in. And so Bo Weiss, you know, a, a couple of days ago, maybe 10 days ago, came in, you know, former Marine, he's, he's, he's retired now, but he came in and he saw his brother's star, Jeremy, on the wall, uh, the memorial wall of CIA headquarters. Amazing moment. Um, and I just want to kind of throw that out there as kind of you know did, our, our our segment to end it because did uh, they uh, that was pretty cool did they had they not invited the family when they when they put no the they did but 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 you know in, in you know look I'm, I'm not I can't I can't throw a dig on the Marine Corps but um, but Bo was deployed in Afghanistan like, right they didn't let him come home right so he didn't see the more the, the memorial ceremony at uh, at CIA headquarters and so it, you know it was it was neat for him to see. Needs the wrong word. It was it was emotional. It was powerful for him right. to see um, his brother's star on the wall at Langley, and that was that was really awesome. And and you know, I, I look, I like, I tried to do so many. Obviously, as as you talked about, you know, you know, my my role in the whole operation. Um, uh, and so you know, there's a lot of things I want to do for Bo, but 
the other thing I did was I called a whole bunch of friends. I live in, in the DC area and I, you know, we got Bo to throw out the first pitch at the Washington Nationals game. That's amazing. And that was so freaking cool. And he's yeah. a huge baseball fan. It was so awesome. And, you know, I, I said, you know, over the couple of days of, of, of meeting Bo and talking to him, um, amazing experience. And, you know, that's, that's the right thing to do to honor, honor his brother. It, is that something that is challenging to organize? Like when you think of the CIA, you think of this really, yeah. you know, Spooky, shadowy <laughs> organization that whatever. It, is it is it really hard to like get a family member in there to see you know? Well, well no, I mean, so so yes and no, but you got to remember. So the same reason why I kind of battled for healthcare and, and ultimately got it. I was senior, so I don't give a shit. Right. And so so I'm like, we're going to get this dude in. Like, are you right. kidding me? He's never seen his brother's star on the wall. Right. So so I start making phone calls and stuff like that, but I ain't stopping until he's going to, he's, he's there. And and God bless Bill Burns, you know, the new CIA director. And finally I got to him. And I was like, and I, and I talked to him. I said, hey, can we get Bo to come in? And, and he's of course he can. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, you know, look, look, just like anything else in life, there's, there's, you know, there's steps along the way and yeah. kind of got to push through it. And, Man, seeing seeing Bo go there, there's a lot of stuff in the media about this, but seeing Bo go and see his brother star on the wall and the tears in his eyes, and that was awesome. And yeah, you know, it's the least I could do to to, to honor his brother. And uh, and Bo Bo's a, Bo's a great kid. You know, he um, you know, he was he's in the Marine Corps, but then when both of his brothers were killed, the Marines told him you can't deploy anymore. He's like, are you kidding? Wow. Me? Yeah. Like I want to be on the front. I want to be on the tip of the spear. And they're like, you can't. Yeah, your double gold star brother. Like we're not doing this again. Yeah. And so you know he lives out in Oklahoma now. He's a, he's a great kid, and it was awesome, awesome meeting him. Yeah, I mean, and that's the whole uh, Saving Private Ryan type of thing that they're, they're they're not going to take the last the last child of of the parents. Nope. Yeah. And it, it it blew me away just emotionally. The whole thing was crazy. Yeah. You know, and just but that was, must have been really cool. powerful. Yeah, that's hardcore. Yeah. Uh, Graham, here, here's the thing for you guys too. Like, you guys have a platform as well. Like, if you find something that's wrong, like, just fight it. Like, just get it done. Um, so you know, he's like, "Hey, can I go see my brother's star on the wall?" Like, hell yeah, we're gonna make it happen. I don't care how. Um, and so that was that was awesome. Yeah. No, I'm all about it. I, I like to be very combative. Yeah, you it's should be. Personality flaw. Uh, Patrick Skinner would be a great guest on this. Says Graham. Yes, he would. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see what we can do there. Um, so Mark, this has been really fun, man. Thank you for coming on the show Always, tonight. Yeah. And oh, I love you guys. This is awesome. I love this show. I could do this for like several hours. We do too, Mark. We, we <laughs> love having you on, man. And we cannot wait till you are in New York and you can come in the studio. That would be a lot of fun. Right. We'll get we're fucked up. <laughs> uh, next episode, next Friday, we're going to have, uh, De uh, Danny Colson on again who uh, was the founding uh, FBI agent. He founded the FBI hostage rescue team. And we're going to be talking about Waco and Ruby Ridge that he had some, uh, well, he had some ancillary involvement. Well, he was, he had supervisory roles uh, in uh, not on site, but he, he was directly involved with both of those in, in their execution. So that's coming at you next episode, okay. and then the next one after that, the Friday after, is episode 100, where we're going to have a little party here, have some pizza, some drinks. We're going to have like six, seven people in here, all in the studio, and probably get drunk off our asses. So it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, I just want to plug this in. First off, um, the book, and secondly, sound off. Uh, you know, tell, uh, and I posted a link in the app, but you, it's uh, oh. sound 
sound-off.com. Um, you know, pass that around for people who don't know about it. Um, Absolutely. And, and tremendous th- resource for kind of mental health, uh, you know, uh, you know, for, for, for veterans and others. And, you know, you know, God bless, like, you know, the, the, we have to be there for people who have, uh, who have served and have given so much. And, you know, if, if, uh, you know, if, if we can do anything, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, we can, we can honor those. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So please, yeah. I, I th- thanks. Thanks for pushing that. And, and Mark, we're, we're really happy to hear that, you know, you've been getting the care that you have and, and all that, the guys, you know, too. It's, it's been helping, you know. Thanks. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes. 